This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 79. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, as always. Excited to be here. Thanks for being here. Uh, We are both with Third Stage Consulting Group. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world with their digital transformation journeys. In this podcast, Transformation Ground Control is about all things related to digital transformation, including the strategy, people, process, and technology sides of change. So thank you all for joining here today. We've got a great episode for you. As always, we've got uh, three primary segments that we're going to cover in today's show. Uh, First of all, we'll start off with some interesting trends and hot topics in the digital transformation space, starting off with pandas and artificial intelligence. And I guess I've never really connected the dots between pandas or artificial intelligence. I'll be curious to see where where we go with that discussion, Kyler. Yeah, most people haven't, I would say. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty unique combo. Will, will we also talk about like rainbows and unicorns? And is it that sort of a discussion or is it? Not today, but maybe maybe when we get to the metaverse, things might get a little weird. But, you know, okay. it always does. Things always get weird in the metaverse, as, we, <laughs> as we've talked about in the show before. Yeah. Um, and then we'll talk about uh, other hot topics, including rivalries and digital asset sharing services. So we'll unpack the whole market of digital asset sharing services, services as well as the commercial rivalries within that space. And then we're going to talk about a thousand taps to company culture. Um, so anytime we talk about change management and culture, that's always a good thing. We cover that a lot on the show, but we haven't talked about this specific topic. Uh, one thousand taps to company culture. And then we'll talk about uh, doing business in the metaverse economy. And I suppose that's where things start to get weird and questionable mm-hmm. at best. Um, because doing business in the metaverse is still uh, pretty relatively immature, but we'll talk about doing business in the metaverse. And then finally, we'll talk about voice control technologies, some of the pros and cons of that technology. So those are the uh, the hot topics and trends we'll talk about here in the first segment. And then later in the show, we are going to have a handful of guests from the third stage team, in addition to Kyler and myself, who are going to, going to be part of a panel discussion where we unpack this concept of digital transformation strategy and planning, more particularly talking about that phase in a project when you've selected your technology, you've selected your roadmap, and you're about to start the implementation. There's sort of a, a really important phase there that most organizations tend to want to gloss over or skip entirely. And that is the implementation readiness, the planning phase, the phase zero. There's a number of interchangeable terms you can use to describe it. But that is the phase of the project that we want to unpack and bring to life uh, with a panel. So we'll have several guests on the show uh, with Kyler and I talking about that topic. And then later, uh, last but not least, the third segment, we will have Dean Sam from Third Stage Consulting in Asia Pacific. He's going to be on the show talking about the target operating model or how to define a future state target operating model within your digital transformation. And by the way, target operating model, business process improvement, business process management, all the business process side of transformation, 
We also are going to dive pretty deep into that thread within the second segment as well with the digital transformation strategy and planning panel discussion that we have. So be sure to stick around for both of those topics. But before we get to our guests in our panel discussion, um, what are some of these hot topics you have in mind for us, Kyler? Yeah, well, you know, I won't keep you waiting um, with anticipation in the pandas. So basically, there is some new research out of Chengdu Research Base, uh, which is the Great Panda Breeding Center in Southwest China. And basically, just to give you an idea, pandas are an endangered species. There's about 1,800 total in the wild and 1,600, or, uh, 600, excuse me, in captivity. So conservation efforts are really important to make sure that this species still thrives in its environment. The challenge with pandas, which is really inter interesting when it comes to technology, is they lack distinguishable biological characteristics. And mostly that's because they have no facial expression. They all look exactly the same, which can make things like tagging and tracking really challenging. Hmm. So basically what this research center has done is they've created a database uh, that features images and videos that uh, have been analyzed in recent years to showcase the difference between specific animals. So if Eric was a panda and Kyler was a panda, they would have the ability to identify those specific pandas because of the database and the machine learning and AI analytics within that overall database. So for just to give you an idea of how large this is, there's over 200,000 images, um, 10 terabytes of video data that were collected from 600 pandas, both living and deceased at this point. Um, so basically it gives the opportunity to track these pandas, scale what tactics they're doing as far as survival and breeding mechanisms to continue to support the growth of the species. Um, on a different lens, it also has an application that allows zoo goers, so any sort of captivity-based pandas, to identify their favorite panda and be able to tell what they're doing and where they are. <laughs> so kind of an interesting um, overall use of AI technology and conservation efforts and also just so cute looking at panda images all day long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. I, there's so many things that you just said that I had no idea. I, I didn't know that you couldn't, uh, what'd you call it? Biological separation or just, Distinguishing characteristics. So usually okay. they tell, like you think about um, facial recognition when it comes to humans, that data to open phones or or to identify. It usually has specific biological characteristics. You know, I look different than you do, so the software is able to say, "Oh, that's Kyler, not Eric." But in these types of species, they don't have those dis distinguishable data points hmm. um, to showcase that. So they kind of had to use. Um, and build the foundation for a database to showcase and identify these specific pandas. So that's super interesting. And it's another uh, really interesting use case that is a good reminder that there's just so many untapped opportunities to use artificial intelligence and facial recognition, machine learning, you know, all these emerging mm -hmm. technologies that we're just starting to scratch the surface of how it can be used. I think that's a really interesting use case of how AI can be used differently. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and into something that also is kind of an emerging technology within an existing field. We talk a lot about supply chain, the evolution of supply chain strategies around supply chain, especially in our current climate. Um, we haven't discussed a lot of digital transformation, data-driven asset sharing. So I'm going to give you some examples for case studies just to get 
our audience and, and how I wrapped my mind around this concept. It's basically on-demand warehouse sharing providers. So basically one of those is called Flex and they identify any unused industrial storage spaces while making it available to companies short term. So say you have a a surplus of inventory or you want to sell some of your space within your storage area, you're able to do that. The interesting um, piece about this is the owner might have to accept that companies that are distinct rivals. So maybe we're saying like Amazon and Target on a really macro level and they are they're storing goodness, their goods right next to each other. Um, which really has opened the door for something that hasn't been as um, traditional within supply chain. That's kind of been more of a competitive advantage in that warehouse center. And then the second case study goes into Walmart Go Local platform. So think DoorDash or any gig worth delivery service. Basically what it does is this Walmart owned platform um, gets you the opportunity to have goods delivered, but also engages in rideshare technology. So you might have a local business and you are sharing the actual delivery with your you know, competitor right down the road. Um, so kind of some interesting new um, developments and technologies on that front. So I wanted to see how you felt about kind of this pooling of goods in a way that might improve efficiencies or support a more fluid supply chain or if you think that this is a, you know, a complete lack of competitive advantage and can be a huge risk to businesses. Well, I think the, the, uh, the scale and the, the mass adoption of that sort of technology, I think that's the real benefit. I, I guess there's always a risk, um, especially in the case or the example you give of sharing with a competitor, but I think the, the adoption, the, the widespread adoption that comes along with that scale and finding these efficiencies, I think that is going to do more benefit than than harm. So that's the way I view it. But then again, I, I haven't done the, the economic analysis of that by any means, but that, that would be my, my knee-jerk reaction to that. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting um, approach. You know, it kind of started with an Airbnb house sharing type of model, right? And now it's moved into really an industrial space because of the challenges of specific supply chain um, issues that organizations experience. So definitely an interesting, and especially to see titans in the industry, specifically in retail, like Walmart, uh, really kind of leverage that go local platform because they're known to not have a lot of third-party delivery services. That's kind of Walmart's business model. Uh, so they you know, started launching their own, but it's kind of ironic that they're using other sort of rideshare opportunities to deliver their goods. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. But think, speaking of user adoption, I kind of want to shift gears and talk a little bit about voice control tech. And for me, this is a very big trigger in my household and personal <laughs> life. So, so a recent study talked about the pros versus cons of voice control tech. And basically what it's talking about is this technology is just in its infancy. It's really a, a basic program that's meant to perform simple tasks. Uh, and the, the voice control, when it comes to servicing another community, like the American Occupational Therapy Association was part of this study, 
and then talked about that this is really an emerging technology. However, the challenge is the cost of the hardware. So someone that might have a hearing disability or something like that, we recently saw the patent on hearing aids um, expire. So you saw that go from, you know, something that wasn't covered by insurance and was a very big cash offering in, in the hearing technology or wearables area. Um, so there's a couple barriers. One is that it's not a sophisticated technology. Two is it can't tell between users. So for me, waking up to Baby Shark from Alexa at 5 a.m. is a very big pain point in my consumer experience when it comes to Alexa because she can't tell the difference between my toddlers and myself. And the last barrier to entry and the third one, which I feel like you might have thoughts on, um, is customers are becoming increasingly concerned with the security. So the Alexa type of listening, big brother type of thing really gets my husband. He does not like when he thinks that Alexa is, is listening to him in any sort of way or right. when Google immediately talks to him off of his Google device. Um, so much so that my father-in-law actually refuses to have any of these in the household and will have, you know, kind of secret conversations around them just in case the government is interested of in our grocery list or something like that. But right. So wanted to hear kind of your thoughts on this, um, on this emergence. Do you feel like it's going to become something that will be more sophisticated or will it kind of be like Bluetooth where it's there, but it's never really something that, that comes to fruition in the case of ease of use? I don't know. As you were saying this, as you were describing this um, use case or the, this talking about this technology in general, and tying it back to the AI and pandas, it's mm -hmm. it's just fascinating to me. I, I feel like voice technology should be a lot further along me than too. it is, because I feel like it's it the origins have to go way back to when you know you had a real simple question and answer type of technology that was being developed, you know, forty years ago. Um, but then AI, so you have AI that can recognize pandas and in biological features of pandas, but yet your Alexa or Google device at home is playing baby shark or whatever in the middle of the night because it doesn't recognize your voice. It just seems weird to me that that there's such a disparity in the the maturity of those technologies. So I don't know. Part of me thinks, well, if they haven't figured it out by now, mm -hmm. are, are they ever really going to? Um, but in, especially when given the fact that the other thing too that comes to mind is voice activated or voice um, voice control technology has been around. You know, it's we've had not just time to work with it. You know, the last you know whatever it is, five or eight years or 10 years since uh, Apple came out with Siri and Amazon and came out with Alexa mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And not only has the technology been around, but you have these mass amounts of data that speaking of artificial intelligence, you think artificial intelligence or some sort of technology would sort of continuously improve and figure this stuff out. But apparently mm -hmm. that's not, it's not the case. And maybe it's just not as simple as the way I'm making it out to be, but it seems like it should be a lot more straightforward. Yeah, and if there's any nerdy, uh, you know, space lovers like me out there, actually, this study started with a pop culture reference of the 1968 sci-fi classic, A Space Oddity, where he says, you know, open the doors, Hal, which essentially is, you know, the voice recognition program. And he says, I'm sorry, Dave, I'm afraid I just can't do that. So <laughs> it's the concept, of course, has been around for a long time as well. So, um, well, you bring it, bring it back full circle to this podcast. I mean, this podcast was named after right? the song space oddity from 
David Bowie. So David right. Bowie talks about Major Tom to ground or ground control to Major Tom. Mm-hmm. That's where the idea for ground control came from. So that, that's kind of a interesting. You brought a full circle. Nice yeah. work. Nice work on that, Thank on you. that segue. Completely <laughs> intentional for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were, I knew you planned that. <laughs> yeah, right. And the other thing this this topic reminds me of is here in the United States, we have what's called Saturday Night Live, which is a, a satire comedy program um, with some of the top world's comedians. But they do one on Alexa that kind of stereotypes older users that we talked about kind of in that non-technical phase. And they do all of these things like collar, like Allegra and like all of these. (laughs) So I'll link it in the description notes because it's pretty funny. So if you'd like, you know, to look at a spoof on on what is happening um, with that voice, voice control and pop culture, we'll we'll give you some information. But at least we can laugh about it. Yeah. Right. Um, But with that, let's talk about um, this interesting concept. It's actually from Inc. Magazine. And recently, um, Third Stage was listed on Inc.'s top 5,000 high growth companies in the U.S. So we're very excited to be on that list. Um, And with with that, I kind of want to share this approach with you as a change management expert. They call it the thousand taps approach to company culture. Uh, And they their reasoning behind it is because culture changes very slowly over time. So every sort of tap of a hammer, every sort of um, recognition, every sort of positive cultural reference, uh, very succinct communication, all of those positive aspects, but they're not going to happen until the executive team starts doing it and then their management team starts doing it. Mm. And I, I understand this approach, but I wondered if you could give it kind of a digital transformation spin if you come in to a company that doesn't have a culture that's ready via your readiness assessments, your cultural assessments, all of the data that you collect, how can you fast track that so that they can go through their digital transformation or you truly have to follow this kind of thousand taps approach? That's a great question. I, I think first and foremost, you have to recognize you know, how big of a jump you're going to be making from where your culture is today to where you're trying to get it in the future. And it may be that your current culture is creating headwinds for your transformation. And, and not to say you shouldn't do the transformation, but it's likely that it's going to cause you to take longer. The, the transition is going to be harder and you just need to plan for it. I think the problem isn't that it takes longer or that organizations have cultural headwinds. It's that they're surprised when it happens and they they get completely blindsided by it. But really, they, there's no need for it. They, they should know. Uh, through these assessments up front and understanding their current state versus future state culture, they should kind of know, you know, what they're up against and what the the pitfalls are. Um, the other part of it too, is you can start to bend the culture in the short term. You're not going to change it overnight. If you're, you know, operating on a 18 month or three year or five year transformation, whatever, whatever your roadmap is. Uh, and no matter how long it is, you're, you're probably not going to fully realize the culture you want in that relatively limited amount of time, but you can do things to start to dial in on it and start to bend it to, to accomplish what it is you're trying to accomplish. For example, if, if part of your culture is, you know, breakdowns of communication between silos in your organization, that's something that didn't just happen overnight. That's just decades of, of uh, growth and, you know, lack of coordination internally and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. And so, so to change that, it's going to take some time, but you can start to do things in the short term tactically that will start to create those thousand taps. Um, so I think that's the key is to really to do two things in parallel. One is to understand 
the lay of the land culturally and how that affects your overall digital strategy and transformation plan. But then also in parallel, as part of your change management strategy, be looking at that cultural substream, sub work stream within change management to define how we can start to bend our culture to accomplish what it is we're trying to become. And can you take us through that narrative when it comes to, say, the executive team says, okay, I hear you third stage, we need to change our culture in order for this to be successful. How do they go to their management tiers and set expectation that, hey, we're going to do things differently now because we're going to start to make these shifts in our culture to better set us up for success for a new technology? What does that look like? Yeah, as far as how you how you position it or communicate that need to, to your executive team, a lot of it's going to depend on, first of all, if, if you're an organization that's more forward thinking about culture or not, um, you just have to be self-aware. I mean, if, you, mm-hmm. if you're not, you're not. It's okay. I mean, I, I think a lot of organizations try to pretend there's something they're not. If you're not a forward thinking cultural type of organization, then you have a different answer. But if, but if you are culturally you know, kind of forward thinking and your executive team understands the importance of culture and that's you know part of your um, organizational strategy, then it's a, it's an easier conversation. But let's assume that you may have an executive team that doesn't doesn't see it that way. In that case, what you can do is sort of take more of a Trojan horse approach to culture and sort of mm-hmm. not bury it into other things, but but use it as a the way you communicate it is a way to enable ROI and real business value. So if they're just a more logical, less culturally focused organization, not to say you can't be both, by the way, you can be logical and be culturally focused. But let's just say they're more on the logical side, they're engineering yeah. types or whatever, financial types, and they're not quite, you know, they just don't see the world in that that cultural gray area. Um, then you start to tie the cultural work stream and activities that you need to do back to things that are important to the executive team. So you speak their language, whether it's risk mitigation, that might be the way you frame it. It could be ROI and dollars and cents for the CFO types. That could be a way you you uh, define it, or you view it as sort of an overall um, kind of a blueprint for what the organization is going to be more of an architecture view, but you're coming out from a cultural angle uh, that might speak to more of an engineering type, for example. So you just really have to speak the language of your executive team and not try to not try to assume that they get and value culture in the same way that a change management practitioner might, uh, for example. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's all such good information. Definitely, it's it's. Uh, a unique approach, right? It's in your it depends category when it comes to company culture, because the important part is you utilize the data to understand your culture uh, and understand how you're going to make those change as an organization, not so much maybe packaged best practices, not that there's not room for those, but it's important to, to have your own unique approach, definitely. Yeah. So uh, our last hot topic today deals with the metaverse, but in a little bit of a different capacity than we typically do, that we typically view it. Um, So Wharton Business School, which is an Ivy League school here in the U.S., uh, it's a university. They are the first globally to launch a business in the metaverse economy program. So it's actually a certificate program that um, showcases the growth of the economy in the metaverse. So just to give you some stats behind that, Bloomberg projects that the metaverse market will grow to $800 billion by 2024, which is not far away. I mean, we're almost to 2023. Uh, and then Citigroup ex- estimates that it's going to be as large as $13 trillion by 2030. So basically what this program does is it's 
is powered by a range of emerging technologies, in, including the AR, uh, VR, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality. Um, research analysts and all kinds of different experts in the field actually offer a curriculum to be certified to understand business operations in the meta metaverse. So not only are we seeing it from a capital investment, from a business pivot, we talked last week about kind of that um, that reactionary digital transformation of meta, right, to go into the metaverse, but this actually takes an in-depth look about challenges and, and case studies of companies going through this overall certification program. So if you are interested, um, it is 4,500 US dollars. And the first iteration of the program is going to be from September 12th to November 6th with registration opening this next Tuesday. So I think we should probably all just sign up and then go through the metaverse certificate program so we actually know what we're talking about and can better understand where the metaverse is going <laughs> right yeah I, I like it i i like the idea of um, just just fully embracing it and jumping in I i've actually it. been meaning to do that as sort of a research project uh, mm -hmm. maybe to talk about on this show or in my youtube channel or whatever the case may be so i, Absolutely. I like that idea. yeah well we can all do it we can do homework together you me the audience and and see where the metaverse takes us we'll all be wearing goggles looking right. around at all kinds of different things, doing surgery on, on things as well. So I just, want <laughs> um, to see, I just want to see how hard it is to make money in the metaverse. Like, can I just go in the metaverse right now and just somehow go make money, like perform some service or sell something? I don't know. I, I just, yeah. fascinated by that. I'd love to figure that out or understand it a little bit better. I know you can buy a real estate and you can buy currency and, um, or, or cryptocurrency and things of that nature, but I'm, I'm thinking more, kind of traditional physical world business opportunities, seeing what you can do in the metaverse to, to make money as well. Yeah. And it's interesting because we've seen lately cryptocurrency really crashing, really struggling um, mm -hmm. to maintain its overall brand or, or value, right? Which was that it's not affected by inflation or governments, those types of things. Um, but we've really seen Bitcoin and, and different cybersecurity companies actually fail because of the, the lack of overall worth. So it's, it's interesting. The case study actually says they do industry case study topics ranging from how large legacy enterprise can use metaverse technologies in both B2C and B2B settings to which tactics companies can employ to ensure customers engage with digital world safely and appropriately. So a really interesting program, definitely. Yeah, very cool. Sounds really interesting. I didn't know that existed. So it's... Uh... Good to see well, the metaverse. Uh, yesterday when the press release dropped. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but all interesting things. And again, I think that that takes us kind of taking a step back of all these emerging technologies. What is the most important phase zero step? And that's mm -hmm. kind of what you talk through really tactically with our panel discussion um, that we had on our, our live stream um, earlier this week. Yeah. And so we, we wanted to have uh, a panel discussion to talk about phase zero slash implementation planning slash uh, implementation strategy to really unpack and go into some detail into sort of a deep dive discussion of what these different work streams are that should be tackled before you really dive in and just start deploying technology. Uh, one of the biggest uh, challenges we see with implementations is the tendency to want to just go start building stuff technologically without having a good understanding of what it is you're trying to accomplish, what some of the decision points are, 
what your overall plan is, how you're going to align processes and the technology, how you're going to change your organization, all that stuff that will eventually slow you down and create a lot more pain and cost and delay than if you would have just done that stuff up front. So that's really what we want to talk about is define it in more detail, talk about why it's important, what some of the tactics and strategies are that you can take uh, as part of your, your implementation planning and implementation readiness um, activity. So we're going to have a panel discussion. Um, first, we'll take a quick break and we'll introduce the panel. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. And we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 Replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 79. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and all of the audio podcast platforms. And if you don't mind, give us a thumbs up, give us a like, subscribe to the channel, uh, subscribe to the show wherever you're listening or watching. We'd love to, to get the algorithms out there in the world to get this content out to more people. So we appreciate your support on that front. Uh, our next group of guests is, is a great one. We we're going to introduce the guests here in just a moment, but we wanted to have these guests on uh, from the third stage consulting team to talk about and unpack what it is, implementation readiness, implementation planning, what it is, and how that enables a more successful digital transformation than if you were to skip or gloss over that phase of the project. So with us today are, are several guests. Uh, so let's introduce the panel. Uh, Teresa Richardson from third stage consulting. Uh, who's a director uh, on the team here based in the United States. Teresa, welcome to the show. Thank you. I uh, enjoy. I look forward to enjoying this conversation. It's uh, one of the, the bedrocks of what we do, and uh, I'm sure everyone is just as passionate as me about this. So. Yes, and we're going we're gonna to touch on some hot buttons for you throughout this conversation, including change management and process improvement. So I know those are two areas that are you're particularly passionate about, so we're definitely going to touch on those pretty heavily here today as we talk about implementation readiness and planning. Um, and then we also have Nate Stroer, who is practice lead at Third Stage Consulting, also based out of our, our Denver office. Um, Nate, welcome to the show. All right. Thanks, Eric. Got, got a lot of good topics to talk about today and look forward to uh, sharing some of our experiences. Absolutely. And then um, Michelle Weiss, we have Michelle, who's a senior manager at Third Stage Consulting based out of the United States, out of New York. Um, Michelle, welcome to the show. 
Thanks, Eric. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. And Michelle has a, a background in, in project management, among other things. So when we talk about governance, controls, project management, all that good stuff, um, that'll be an area that Michelle will be able to help us unpack and understand a bit more as well. And then, of course, we have Kyler Cheatham, who is also the uh, the host of our Thursday or our uh, gosh, what's the name of our podcast again? It's called Transformation Ground Transformation Control. Transformation Ground Control. She's the, uh, ground control. <laughs> Transformation <laughs> Ground Control. I should probably remember that name since you and I host it together. Don't worry, um, I got you. I'm here. Hi, everybody. Good yeah. to see some familiar faces. Um, good morning, Sam. What? Well, I, I guess it's good afternoon, Sam. Um, hi, Peter. <laughs> good. So we've got you have some repeat guests here joining us live today. And, and again, any questions you have as we get going, I'd love to hear, hear your comments. Um, so I guess just to start, um, and actually in this conversation, this is a little bit different than most of our live streams in that we're actually going to show you a framework. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop it up on the screen. I'll take it away. We're going to kind of keep coming back to this one slide, this one graphic that summarizes what some of the major work streams are within implementation readiness and implementation planning. But before I start to show you sort of the conceptual framework and we start to unpack that in a little bit more detail, I wanted to talk about just why implementation planning and implementation readiness is so important to digital transformation success. And I guess just to maybe preface the question for you, Nate, uh, to get us started on this is, you know, a lot of times what we see with our clients and with, especially in cases where we come into the picture later where the project's already underway and perhaps they're experiencing some problems and they ask us to come get the project back on track. What often ends up happening is, is there's a tendency to to want to just jump right in to a project, start building stuff, start building technology, and let's just start deploying it as quickly as we can because we've got milestones to meet, we've got a budget, we've got limited resources, so let's just go, 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 go. And one of the things that we see is a lot of times, you, in most cases, it helps a ton just to slow things down a bit early on to get that right implementation plan and, and readiness plan in place so that you can actually speed things up and be more effective later. And in the grand scheme of things, that actually is the, the fastest way to implement, even though it may not feel like it because you're not getting started right away on the technology stuff, which is where, as humans, that's kind of where our brains go. Um, so I guess, Nate, uh, just to start off, you know, why... Why is that implementation planning um, so important to transformation success? Well, I think it's it's safe to say that the most most people within an organization have been through a, a technology implementation. So that's something people are really familiar with. Digital transformation, however, is something that most people aren't familiar with. Um, as a result, the organizations really need, um, as you head into the uncharted territories, a, a well-developed roadmap for success. At a minimum, you need to include your milestones, your resources, and your desired outcome. Or put another way, what what are we doing? Who will be doing it? How long are we going to be doing it? And the, really, the, the most important piece is the desired outcome. And I think you alluded to it earlier, Eric. Mo most organizations we come into, in fact, I would say probably 95% say, hey, we're really good with this step. We know where we're going. Let's just get started. Let's jump in. And I, I often compare it to to saying, you know, like, hey, we're going to go on a road trip from Denver to Los Angeles. Let's just go. Let's just get on the road and start driving. Well, you really, yeah, you can do that. You might, you might end up in LA, you might end up in Portland. So it's really important to say, like, where are we going? How are we going to get there? And what's our desired outcome? And who's going to be a part of it? And when, when you address these things, and some organizations really do know what they're doing. And so it's a very simple process of just confirming all of that. But it's really important that everyone's on the same page because of this being such uncharted territory. 
you have to make sure that everyone's real familiar with what you're doing and how you're doing it and what the desired outcome is before you get started. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great analogy The you know, driving from Denver to Los Angeles. Sometimes I'll, I'll take that analogy even one step further and say, it's almost like, you know, you're going to Los Angeles, but you're not quite sure where you're starting from. That's almost how a lot of organizations or how it feels for a lot of organizations when they don't do this implementation readiness. Cause so much of what, what you're tasked with early in a transformation is to figure out not just where you're going and what that future state is, but sort of where are we today and how do we, how do we close that gap? Um, otherwise you're sort of flying or driving in the dark, I guess I'd say, um, on your way to Los Angeles without a clear, clear vision or direction there. Um, well, that's a good that's a good overview. Thank you for that. And again, we're going to come back to the framework and talk about what some of the specific components of implementation readiness are. And I think that'll help bring some of this to life, you know, because right now we're sort of at the high level, but we'll come down into the, the details here in a moment. Um, but before we do that, um, another question for you, Teresa, is that, um, you know, Nate just talked about why it's important to have this implementation readiness uh, phase and why it's so important to success. Um, what are some examples that you've seen organizations or that you know of our clients' uh, troubles or the things that they face when they run when they don't take the time or the appropriate amount of time doing this upfront sort of phase zero of implementation planning and implementation readiness? What are some of the consequences or some of the symptoms that you see as a result of that? Sure. So um, three really come to mind. And again, they all tie back to, in my opinion, that three-legged stool or that pyramid of success, the people process technology. So you could run the risk of misalignment, meaning are we taking the time to understand our business goals and our business strategy to the technology strategy? Will this technology support that growth in the future? So if you're not understanding where the two really connect and how they collaborate with one another or support one another, you could misalign your, your business goals to, to the technology. Another one is, and, and some of the things that I love is, is risking the, the cultural and organizational progress, right? So looking at your stakeholders, do they understand the change? Do they know what's coming? Um, are they part of the, the conversation to create the solution that they need to help support what they're doing within that change as it moves forward? So you have that, that risk of losing or creating a bigger divide in your culture, depending on where you start. And then the last would be, in my opinion, um, is that operational disruption, right? So are we really understanding the total cost of what this is gonna be, the cost of the organization. You really have to look at all of those to make sure that you're not offsetting one for the other. So I know in a lot of your videos, you talk about, you know, if we're not looking at that, that picture from a holistic perspective, you can have a huge impact, negative impact to what we're doing. So although your, you know, your implementation could cost a million dollars, if you're not looking at how this impacts your operation, it could be, you know, three to four times higher than that, just to level set and get everything moving back to where it should be. So in my opinion, it's not just the technology, it's it's the people, the process and the technology, and they all need to be evaluated. And by using the implementation, writing this framework, you're able to look at each one of those sections to make sure everything's aligned and moving to where it needs to go. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And you, you hit on this really important topic or this important point of alignment or lack thereof of internal mm -hmm. alignment. And uh, that's a really important one, because a lot of times when you think about 
why these projects fail or what some of the common challenges are that organizations face. You think of things like, you know, resistance to change or uh, poor project management, governance and controls, uh, technology doesn't work the way you want it to. You know, you think of all these different symptoms, but a lot of times when you dig underneath that and you really trace back why those symptoms happened in the first place, so much of that traces back to that lack of alignment. And if you're not aligned internally as a team as you get started and you get going down this path, you're going to spend a lot of time and money, wasted time and money, because you're not aligned. You're not on the same page. You're trying to Absolutely. make key decisions that are costing you time and money during the implementation. Even um, the other thing, too. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, even with your business processes, you think, okay, this is a technology and we're going to focus on this. But if if your processes, internal processes don't support it or something's missing or you need to re-engineer it and you don't take the time to look at that, it, it, it's not going to be a good scenario when you flip the switch and, and you're expecting a certain outcome. And then you realize, okay, well, we need to re-engineer this or look at that. You're wasting a lot of time and resources. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing too that we we noticed that I would just add to your to your list of things you mentioned that that cause or, or that point to why implementation readiness is so is so important in addition to alignment is the realistic expectations and just really knowing again back to the the driving analogy. Yes, we're going to Los Angeles, but now we have a clear vision of where we're starting from and how we're going to get there. What's the terrain we've got to navigate organizationally, operationally, all that stuff. And if you don't have that up front, not only do you have misalignment, but you also have unrealistic expectations or you just don't know how long the project's going to take, how much it's going to cost and how much it's going to cost you in terms of resources. And so you end up guessing and you usually end up wrong and then you blow past the budget and it takes longer than you think because you didn't have that that clear vision up front. So it, it's sort of like we're trying to unpack or, or trace back why so many of these problems happen. The good news is you can trace it back to a small handful of things that then percolate and explode into a bunch of other symptoms. So if you can really attack the root cause, which is really what we're getting at here today, that's that's one of the more effective ways to handle that. Um, what I wanted to do for those of you that are watching, um, and those of us, those of you listening on the on the audio podcast, won't see this, but we'll we'll try our best to bring this to life verbally. But I'm going to show you a uh, screen or a graphic that shows um, what we mean by by implementation readiness and what some of the major components and work streams are. And I want to kind of walk through each of these one by one, and then we're going to come back to questions from the audience as we as we dig into this. Um, if I take away the slide as we get going in the conversation, don't worry, I'll, I'll bring it back. Um, and if you if anyone wants a copy of this visual, we're happy to share it with you. Just, just email us after the show. Um, but the first thing I, I want to talk about is the executive alignment work stream, which is the, the first uh, work stream you see at the top of this graphic. And that's one of the major work streams of implementation readiness, which is really ensuring that you have internally at the executive level, you have clarity and definition and articulation of what it is this project and this transformation is going to mean to the organization. And when I say that, I, I think a lot of people think intuitively, like they think, oh yeah, I've done that. We've defined that we need to replace our old system. I'm, I'm not talking about replacing in modernizing technology. I'm talking about just what is it that you want this project to accomplish for your organization? It might be heavily focused on replacing old technology, but why? Why are you replacing the old technology? What are the goals and objectives you're trying to accomplish? And within that, more importantly, what are all the different decisions and parameters and guardrails you need in terms of decisions to ensure that you have a strategy that's aligned with your, your overall corporate or organizational goals and objectives? So this is where we typically would would help clients through the process of making key decisions around things like, um, for example, our 
are there certain parts of our business that we are willing to just change our business to fit the technology if there are technology limitations, which there typically are when you when you do these sorts of enterprise tech rollouts or and or are there other parts of our business or certain workflows or processes where we know that's our secret sauce. We know we're different and we're intentionally different because we're that's our dif differentiator as an organization and we're not going to compromise on that. Therefore, the technology needs to change to fit the business. So you think about that, those decisions, which there is no one size or one answer for an entire organization. Usually it's case by case or depending on what process or department you're talking about. But if you don't have that clarity of vision defined at the executive level, what's going to happen is you're going to get into the implementation and there's going to be confusion as to do we customize the software or not? Or do we do we just change the business to fit the software or not? And there's and you end up spinning your wheels and wasting a lot of time and money on some of those decisions if you haven't clearly defined those those decisions early on. So that's sort of at a high level what that that strategic and executive alignment uh, work stream alludes to. Um, but I want to shift gears and maybe as we kind of do a flyover view here of these different work streams and then come back to follow up questions. We're here talking about implementation readiness and implementation planning with a panel discussion. We've got more topics and questions we're going to get to in just a moment. But first, we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 79. We're here having a panel discussion talking about phase zero of an implementation, which is also known as the implementation readiness and implementation planning phase of a project. I guess for you, Teresa, when you look at the operational readiness uh, piece of that, the operational um, the operational readiness work stream, why is that so important to, to a transformation? Well, it, you know, again, in my opinion, if you're only focused on getting that technology in and you're not looking at the simplest question is, is your organization ready for this implementation? Do they have the processes to support the technology? Have we done an operational gap analysis to look at current state to future state and understand that transitionary period in between? If those questions aren't asked, there's going to be a lot of rework, a lot of, of wasted time, effort and resources on an organization's end and a lot of missed opportunity for improving your culture and even even the, the, the processes within your organization to improve. So, again, in my opinion, operational readiness is just part of the of the pie, just part of the equation that you really need to look into. So you need to make sure that you validate these processes and these requirements to ensure that you're on the same page. 
Is there any need to re-engineer or update or to create new processes, new roles, new responsibilities for training opportunities, for communication opportunities? It's all part of that whole ecosystem that you need to look at for success. Right. I mean, I yeah. could take a whole hour talking about this because it's so very important. So, you know, yeah. the processes are that the foundation of what you're doing. And yeah, it sort of serves as a, as a blueprint for for your whole transformation. When you think about think about building a house, um, you need to know how you're going to build that house and, and, and sort of what the design is, where the walls are going to go, where the foundation goes, where the plumber and the electrician and drywall people are all going to come in and do their role. But what ends up happening is organizations end, end up going to the plumber, um, in this the case, the system plumber. integrator, the software vendor, they go to the plumber and say, hey, tell us how to build a house and help us build a house. And so they just start with the plumber, but they don't have the foundation. They don't have the other pieces in place that are needed, but yet the plumber's there advising them on how to build a house. So that's the sort of uh, analogy that, that we found to be effective with organizations is you've got to treat your transformation the same way you would treat building a house. You need to have that general contractor who, would, who could also help manage those business process pieces of it. And um, that's almost like having an architect on on a home building project. You've got the architect and the design of what it's going to look like. And then you've got all the other contractors that can actually execute and, and make that a reality. Um, so that's a really good, a good point you bring up there. I was going to um, say something about that, Eric. Um, sure. One of the things is that a lot of people think, well, how can I come up with my processes if I don't know what the system does? Right. Yeah. And that, that's a, you know, and the important thing is to get your processes down, right? And then because the system uh, integrator is not going to help you with that. They're expecting you to come with, this is my process. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to do that fit gap. Now they're going to look, say, you know what? Our system does it this way. Let's talk about it. Can we change this? Can we change that? Can, you know, can we do something to make it more like yours? So um, I think that perception that they're going to help you with that is, is definitely out there and it's not correct implementation is expecting you to come with what are your processes? What do you want them to be in general? And then we'll help you with that idea of how does it fit with the software? So, yeah, that's a great, great point. I totally agree with you. And, and it's almost like when you think about business processes, kind of that level one through five um, classification where level one is your real high level macro processes. And then you get down to level five and that's your, you know, screen by screen, button by button, what you're doing yeah. in a workflow. You know, the, the system integrators or the, the software vendors are going to help you with that level five, you know, level four and five level of detail and granularity, which obviously that's what they're good at. But then you, but you still need that overarching framework, kind of that top down level one, two, three definition of this is what we do. This is how we're going to do it. And there's certainly going to be some reconciliation. You mentioned the fit gap piece of it. You're going to have you're going to have a vision of what you want your business to look like and what you want that blueprint to be. And then you've got the realities of the technology, um, mm -hmm. some limitations in some cases where you just can't achieve that vision with that technology and therefore you decide, what do we do? Do we water down our vision? Do we put in a third party system to help fill that gap? Uh, but then there's also, in some cases too, there's competencies that technology bring to the table that you may not envision early on, mm -hmm. which is okay. You, you start to get into things like uh, machine learning or some of the more automated tasks that can happen in, in new technology. That's gonna enable and give you ideas for how you could improve your processes. So you kind of have to take top down and bottom up and kind of meet in the middle there with the technology driven versus the operational and strategic driven piece of it. Um, so it's a, it's a great point about not wanting to defer too much to the, to the software vendor and, and how the technology works um, without that clear vision up front. Um, 
Okay, and, and back to your other, uh, arguably your your area of biggest interest and passion, Teresa, is uh, is organizational change or the people readiness. And I say arguably, and really, I don't really think that's up for debate. I think change management is clearly <laughs> your, your your number one uh, uh, mindset when it comes to transformation, which is a good thing. So this people yeah. readiness uh, work stream here, um, tell us about that one. Why is that one so important uh, in this implementation readiness phase of a project? So I have to be honest with you, when, when I saw that particular uh, point of uh, discussion today, you know, I started taking notes and writing all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, this is awesome because change, and, and I don't think a lot of people understand when this really happens, but change really begins the minute the decision is made, right? The minute the decision is made from the top or whomever is, is you know, going down this path, that's when you need to understand how you're going to fit change management within the overall plan because change begins the minute the decision is made. And I am like, I'm going to write that on my board. I'm going to, you know, you get these moments of awesomeness. I'm like, oh my God, that's a great thing. But it's true, right? Change begins the minute the decision is made. And a lot of organizations, it's like an afterthought. But people make our organizations. People make the wheel turn. And I've said this 20,000 million times now. You know, unless your process is 99.9% .9 automated, people are involved. And you have to take that into consideration when you're looking at a transformation. It's, that's If you want it to work, that's what you got to do. <laughs> you know, some people, they just forget about it. I'm like, okay, you don't want it to work. Fine. But it, that's what you need. So making sure that you have your people readiness assessments. Are your teams engaged? Do they understand what the change is? Do they, do, can they articulate it? Do they understand why it's important? How is it going to benefit? Even when you're looking at process re-engineering or creating what we just discussed on, on how our, our processes are going to evolve or you know how are they going to support, nine times out of a 10, you'll have a change in roles and responsibilities. So do your people understand what their new role in their new world looks like? If not, we have to provide training, communication, you know, maybe re-education, whatever, because we have to support them in order for them to support the technology. And that's a lot of times where they miss the mark. You know, we talked about, you know, the, the gap analysis and the processes. You have to do the same thing with your people. You have to evaluate their skill sets to current state to future state. What what new skills are required in this new environment? And the last is, you know, people transformation. I, I can't say this enough. You know, creating a culture of change mindset doesn't need to stop when your technology implementation is over. You want to grow that. You want to cultivate that because they're the people that are going to see the next opportunity or wave of improvement, of, of cost savings, of, you know, a, a defect, uh, uh, calling out a defect, making sure that things are running appropriately. We're giving a service to somebody or giving a product to somebody, and they're the first ones to see an opportunity to make it better. Yeah. And I know yeah. we only have a half an hour, but I could go on and on and on. It's <laughs> it's important. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's uh, definitely important. I'm going to share a few comments as we're getting them in here. And I'm actually going to come back to some some audience questions in just a moment. But I want to get through these last two work streams a bit uh, first. But, um, you know, just some great comments here from from Chris on LinkedIn. He mentions that getting the as is processes <laughs> can take months. And then uh, someone else on LinkedIn, I don't see the name of who who posted it, but 
Um, don't underestimate the effort it takes to educate your system integrator on your business, which can then inf which then influences your business processes. Um, so that's a great point too. And, and the better job you've done of defining your your operational plan or your 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 future state business processes and your change management plan, the better your system integrator is going to be able to add value to the project and sort of fit within fit within your vision for what the project is, rather than making it about them and their vision. Um, and, and that's a that's an important. Uh, dynamic or, or mindset shift that, that organizations often face. Um, okay, Nate, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And we talked about, so we talked about strategic alignment. We talked about operational readiness, people readiness, and then there's technical readiness. Maybe help us understand that at a high level in terms of um, why that work stream is so important. Or what is it and why is it so important? Well, I think this goes, <clears throat> goes back and it's, we're starting to hit a, a theme with all of these different readiness pieces of the project. But I think it really, again, comes back to where are we now? Where do we want to go? And how will technology help us get there? And when we say, where are we now? I think it's important to everyone or organizations and, and people for, for all that's worth uh, tend to focus on what's not working. But I think it's important to say, what is working? What, what's, what are we doing well? And how is technology helping us to do that well? And then what are the challenges and how can this new technology help us to get to where we want to go. But I think it's also important and, and folks tend to, and organizations tend to focus on one technology. It, and it, it usually is around an ERP system, a CRM package, um, a human resource platform. But I think it's really important to know that all of these work in the overall technology landscape. So all of your systems really need to not only work together today, but work together in the future to support your vision. And I think Chris on in, in looking Chris uh, McPartland, I, I think you made a really good point in one of your posts here. And that is the technology may already be there. And we we've had organizations before where you come in and you say, you know what, I think we're actually you're focusing on an ERP implementation. Maybe this is something that you already have in place that we just need to optimize. We just need to build the people and the processes around the technology that's already there. So it's really looking at all of the people, process, and technology, know that they don't exist in a bubble, and then finding out again, back to those questions. Where are we now? Where do we want to go? And how will the technology support that vision? And I think um, just to add to that is also making sure that the people that are going to be working within your organization with that technology are you know, prepared or getting support to get to a point where they're going to be able to support that. So um, a little bit of that people training, people change management for them, um, the IT folks, which is, you know, have a bigger um, role sometimes than than end users specifically, just because they're going to be, you know, implementing integrations and other systems to support the, the, the bigger system, right? So. And I yeah. think one of one of our clients earlier this month made a really good point. He said, you're dealing with end users that are used to a rotary dial phone and we're giving them a smartphone right now. It's still a phone. It still communicates from one person to another, but it's a whole different way of doing it. So you can't just assume, OK, we're going to take the old phone, take it out of the wall, hand someone a smartphone. They know how to use a phone. There's a whole process of not only training people, but getting the right people in place to take advantage of the technology. And I think that second piece is really the most important one. And that is some people not, not replaced, but you might need to get some people in there with different skill sets 
and different ways that they do their job and with the way they um, work within the organization to really take the best advantage of the technology. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, you know, that technical work stream is also important because it provides the architecture and the integration for how technologies will tie together. Even if you're implementing a single ERP system, you've got to tie together different modules within that system and you've got to have an architecture for that. And not to mention the fact that it's highly likely, if not, you know, 90% plus likely that you're going to have to integrate your core ERP system to some other technologies, whether it's a regulatory system or a, you know, a, a industry specific type of solution or whatever the case may be. Um, okay. And then Michelle, help us understand the last work stream here at a high level, the project governance and planning. What is that work stream and why is it so important during this phase of the project in particular? Sure. I mean, this is the, the work stream that helps you determine uh, how are things going to be managed, who's going to manage them. Um, so the first one being the project governance is, you know, how are you going to escalate things? Who's going to be the person that things get escalated to? Um, how are you going to project manage this? Are you using certain software to do that? Or, you know, just kind of getting ready for uh, that project management role and, and how things are going to work. Um, also, I think part of this is, um, and it may bleed into the others is, you know, sometimes people assume that ex even executives know what their role is in a project, right? They you just assume they know. Well, this is also part of defining what their roles are going to be and what is expected of them. Um, so setting some guidelines as to, okay, you're part of this project team. These are the expectations for your role. So you're the executive sponsor this is what's expected right you are available you attend certain meetings etc so people know what um, to be ready for uh, for the project um, also in building out your project team um, you know realizing how much time you're going to need from those people and does it make sense to for them to be doing their job as well as being part of the project in some in huge implementations, no, that does not make sense. You're actually going to need those people full time. And so figuring out a way to um, support them in that by backfilling those positions. So I know that that's a big thing in, in really huge uh, implementations where, you know, again, people don't real companies don't realize that that's going to have to happen. So they're going to have to hire people to take over some of these very important roles. But you need those really important people as part of the project to define all of these processes and, and you know, make make the, the project work. Um, and then it's also looking ahead of time about what might be risks in your, you know, organization. So getting those risks down and um, starting to think about how to mitigate some of those risks. Uh, so I don't yeah. know what anyone else has to add to that, but those are my, my few comments. Yeah, some of the... Uh the the decision making is a really important one that you mentioned which is the you know how do we make decisions as the project goes who makes the decisions mm -hmm. um are you know a lot of times organizations delegate decision making about key business processes and strategic decisions they delegate that to the project team in the spirit of delegation and just getting people involved so it's, it's typically coming from a good place but what ends up happening is you lose that alignment you lose that alignment with your, with your future state strategic vision if you don't have that governance in place. So it's not just about keeping a project on track, making sure you finish on time on budget. It's also about making sure that you 
are delivering a transformation that aligns with the executive and the, the strategic alignment strategy of the organization. And it's um, also um, selecting the project team all the way down to the user, you know, the UAT people. So the users mm -hmm. that are going to UAT. So that they are communicated to about how the project is going. Maybe they're not involved in obviously in all the meetings, but they know that this is a, a, a role that they're going to fill and get them involved. Right. I think there was a question earlier about, you know, they don't listen to the end users. How do they get involved? Well, UAT would be the place where where they're involved specifically. But the idea is that your organization has chosen representatives to be part of the project that should know the processes and the things that you're doing to communicate those to the project team and hopefully get you know some of those things into the into the project. Um, you know, you can't involve everyone in projects like this. But the UAT piece is where those users get to play with the system, test what, you know, the processes that have been set up and voice their opinions. This is working. This is not working. And that's their chance to really um, give that input, I think. So, um, yeah, they need absolutely. to know that they're going to be part of the project, even from the beginning. And, you know, obviously they're going to get know that they're going to get training on, an, especially if it's a brand new system, right? Sometimes that you switch from one platform to another and it's completely different. Letting them know that, yes, you're going to get some training. Everyone's going to get training. And that's that comes in Teresa's, you know, communication, communicate with the whole organization, not just the project team um, as to what's right. what's going on. We're here talking about implementation readiness and implementation planning with a panel discussion. We've got more topics and questions we're going to get to in just a moment, but first we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 79. We're here having a panel discussion talking about phase zero of an implementation, which is also known as the implementation readiness and implementation planning phase of a project. You know, while we're on this thread here of, of people and change, um, you know, Teresa, I'd be curious, uh, Teresa and Nate in particular, curious to hear your thoughts on this, but this is from um, LinkedIn. The comment is the scariest part of digital transformation is the poor level of communication. Some global mm -hmm. managers believe their own perception is the only valid, the only one that's valid, and they do not value the experience and limitations of end users and, and medium to low managers uh, within the organization. So how do you overcome that, Teresa? Maybe I'll start with you. You know, when you talk about communication and the poor communication or, or the, I think they're also, this person's also getting to something even deeper, which is that the managers thinking they're right or only their perception is valid. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I, I know it's a huge question, but what, what's your first? You see the wincing in my face, like, <laughs> uh, 
Well, interestingly, you know, most change, impactful change comes from that middle layer or the middle manager area because they're the ones that are that conduit between upper and, in my opinion, team member level uh, interaction with the process of the technology. Oh, my goodness. You put a smile on my face, Kyler. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, making, I mean, when you have managers like that, I mean, in my opinion, a manager doesn't need to be the one driving the change if an organization is really engaged because you have change agents, you have the people that that want to see this change move forward. So you don't really have to leave it up to that manager um, if you really want to make that switch. Uh, in my opinion, change is an organization's responsibility. So the communication, it's like a cascaded communication plan where every level of an organization has the idea of the change, but how does that change impact them at their level of influence is very important. Um, again, I'm not the I'm not the type of professional that would allow or permit one level or one person to to just stop everything. I think it takes an entire <laughs> entire community. To, to make, embrace, and really move that change forward. So if the question is, how do you get around that? I think the person asking that question really knows, right? You see the problem. So step up and fix it. Because honestly, everyone within an organization, they're not there just to be there. You're taking time from their family. You're taking time from their you know, lives. They, they're there because they want to be there. They want to do a good job. So if you see it, you know what? Address it. So that's right. what I would say. Yeah, it seems like it's a it's a balancing act between, you know, we talk about executive alignment and that clarity of strategic vision. So on one hand, you kind of need a somewhat of a top down, uh, even though that's not a cool word to say nowadays. It's all about bottoms up and sort of leadership and stuff like that, which is great. But you, you do need that top down direction and, and strategic framework. But then you also need you can't overdo that either. You need to have that sort of bottoms up. Um, involvement of end users, but also the communication to and among different departments and different people within the organization. So you kind of have to do both and you have to find that right balance for your organization. I mean, to be honest with you, if, if uh, you know, if worse comes to work, you need to, you need to talk to what people listen to dollars. You know what? Mm -hmm. if, if my manager or whomever isn't, isn't making it happen and senior leadership's like, well, why tie it back to the dollars? That, that'll get their right. attention. You're just wasting ten gazillion dollars because this isn't happening. You'll see. You'll see some changes. So I mean, there's plenty of ways around that around that barrier. And uh, here at Third Stage, we are we are very good at identifying what they are and just kind of like blowing it up. And yeah, absolutely. Happy, you know. So. Yep. And then here's an interesting comment from Chris um, Simmons on. LinkedIn, he says, for some people, change can be difficult, especially those who may have been with the company for many years. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a great point. If you have a highly tenured staff, you know, change management is just going to be harder. If you're a an older, more established organization, change is just going to be harder. And uh, a lot, I think, too many organizations underestimate that, and they think, no, 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 it's not going to be yeah. hard because our people hate the old green screen system, so they're yeah. going to love the change. Well, they maybe they will at the end of the day, but it's going to be a very painful process. I think that's but the part that people don't fully understand. 
Honestly, I think that's a pot of gold in my mind. I mean, you have all that tenure, all that experience. And, you know, I know you just maybe saw me get a little excited there, but that's what it is. It's like a pot of gold. It's 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 all this experience and this you're there for a reason. You've been there for 40 years. So you love your job. You're passionate about it. So let's tap into that. Let's figure it out and have them become the cheerleaders. I mean, just because someone's been there 40 years and they're using a phone on the wall versus someone out of college who has a super duper fast new version iPhone that you can look at and it turns out it doesn't mean we're going to discount the person that's been there for 40 years. In my opinion, that's a huge opportunity. That's a huge pot of gold, you know, and I tap into it. I'd be like, hey, let's talk. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's a great point. Um, I'm just going through. We have a lot of great questions here from the audience. I'm actually having trouble uh, getting, getting through them all or, or just kind of picking the ones that go with the flow here. Um, you know, here's a here's an interesting question or, or comment from uh, uh, Furkan, Furkan. I hope I'm not mispronouncing your name too terribly on LinkedIn. He, he's responding to Chris McPartland, who we showed a comment from him earlier. I think, Nate, you mentioned him earlier. Um, he mentions that another crucial point is following these processes, which are related to relevant trends, because it changes quickly, in my opinion. Um, so I guess, you know, maybe I'll, I'll turn that into a question. What about, you know, how do you, from a process improvement perspective, how do you um, ensure that you're, you're taking advantage of sort of best practices or, or um, improved business processes that can deliver real business value? Um, how can you do that? But at the same time, you know, do that in the context of a very rapidly changing tech environment where technology is constantly changing and the world's changing. How do you how do you sort of define that moving target uh, in a transformation? Or do you have any thoughts on that, uh, Teresa? Maybe we'll start with you on that. Uh, I, was gonna, I mean, <laughs> I could talk all day on this again, but, you know, when you're looking at how the rapid movement of technology is occurring from your industry as well as your organization, just because it's moving fast, is that what you need for your business is my question. So, yeah. I mean, flavors of the month, I mean, I hear it all the time, it comes and goes. So if something's moving quickly and, and you know, it, it's something that you want to, to deploy, step back, take a look at that, the, the strategic alignment and how your processes and what are your strategic goals, does that, is that the right fit for your business? Ask the people who are touching the process. You know, it, it might be a shiny bell here, but when I'm involved in the process, will it work for me? Will it get a better service, a better product, a better whatever? Am I going to help my consumer, my customer by changing these processes and making it shiny, faster, whatever? I, I think even before you want to do that, you would really need to look at whether or not it's the right thing to do for your business. Yeah. Yeah. And here's a, and speaking of speed and uh, change, um, here's a question I want to maybe see what your thoughts are here, Nate, uh, on this question again from Chris McPartland. Um, but I feel like this question really gets to the root or to the, to the heart of why <coughs> implementation readiness is so difficult for organizations to think through and to, and to be patient with or, or to, to actually take the time to do is, uh, I'll, I'll say it in his words because he says it better than I probably would have. Um, but he says, I'm always under so much pressure to start delivering change as there's always excitement and momentum in the early stages. So how do you ensure you get the time up front in an agile, impatient world? And I think that's a 
brilliant question because that that is the problem with implementation readiness and why so many companies skip past it is because we live in this agile world we, we want to move fast and it's sort of like it's sort of like a human psychology sort of thing where if we're not building technology then we're not making progress i can see and touch the technology but i can't see and touch all this implementation readiness stuff so let's just skip past it in the name of agile and go go build some stuff and that that creates a lot of problems in my opinion um that that can lead to problems later and, and that's hence the whole reason for this this entire topic and conversation but what, what are your thoughts on this nate i mean have you seen this before how have you seen our clients overcome that what, what are your thoughts there yeah at, you know and and that is a great point and i think when i when it, <clears throat> when you ask have we seen it i think with every client we've seen it and i think it's it, it really goes back to the the point and i'll use your analogy eric but it really comes back to the point of starting from the beginning. Where are we now? Where are we going to go? And then really building a good plan on how you're going to get there and communicating. And um, I'll, I'll try and hit in all three of those. But it again, kind of using that analogy of building a house, it's it's sitting down and saying, what do we want out of this house? Are we building a are we building it for a family? Do we want a lot of living space so that we can entertain a lot, that sort of thing. That's the vision. And then really sitting down and saying, what's the plan? And, and, and saying, do we, you know, we have to dig a foundation. We have to frame the house. We have to get the plumbing and the electrical. And then really the most important piece in my book <clears throat> is communication. And I think, and I think the communication has to be consistent. It has to be, um, frequent, consistent, and concise. And, and I think it, as long as you can take your communication and tie it all into where are we now, where are we going, get, get it in front of people, if, whether it's weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, at staff meetings, whatever that is, and then, and then make it concise, make it relevant to what the end user sees and what their piece is in the overall project. So people, people don't want to read five page emails, but they, they want bullets. They want to know what the change is, what's coming up, what's their involvement in it and what can be expected of them. And I think if you do that, it, it, you, it lets people know that again, here's where we're going. The end, the end goal is to build a house that we can all live in. And yeah, it's not exciting when you're seeing a hole dug in the backyard and a foundation is being poured. That's not really something you can put your hands on. But as long as people know you do this before you do this, before you do this, and then we all move into the house, it gives them an idea of where where you're going. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I want to add to that is, you know, going back to the earlier part of our discussion, you're talking about, you know, what risks are we in danger of? And I think one of, one of the things that just popped in my head as he was uh so eloquently describing that is the risk of a restart. So that's a very costly thing, not just in money and resources, but in the buy-in and adoption that you've created up to that point for your organization. Um, when you don't really take time, take a step back and look at what are we really doing? where are we and where do we really want to go and what that piece in between is if you don't do that then you're you know you're moving along your timeline you find something that you need to adjust you got to stop you got to adjust and then that whole cost of a restart is huge it's huge yeah yeah absolutely that's that's a great point um and i agree with that by the way it's a lot cheaper and faster to do it right the first time than it is to 
mess it up and th think that you're speeding things up and actually you're just headed faster towards a failure. Uh, making sure you get that that right up front is, is super important. You're um, headed to the brick wall. Get it? The brick wall behind me. No. <laughs> 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 boom, boom. <laughs> A little digital transformation say, humor here on the show. <laughs> if you do a restart, then that's where people start getting that exhaustion of, yep. you know, I think there was a question about change exhaustion, mm -hmm. right? If you're going to have to restart something and they're not going to, they're going to be too, too exhausted from all the change before and it didn't work. So why would I pay attention now? So Absolutely. it definitely has a huge effect on, on morale, I think, Absolutely. as well as uh, putting the project in a, with, starting restarting a project with higher risk because your people are just like okay i'm over it right so yeah um, i five across the room michelle that was awesome <laughs> yes yeah no that's a great point and, and i guess just in the interest of time i know we're going to lose at least one panelist here in just a, in just a few seconds uh to a client commitment but before we lose anyone from the panel um i want to ask sort of this capstone question or this closing question here which is um you know, what, what closing advice would you have for an organization that's maybe in the midst of a transformation? Um, and what, what, what should they do to get started? I mean, it, when you think about implementation readiness and doing some of the stuff we talked about here, you know, how do they, how do they get started on it? Whether they're just starting their project or perhaps they're already part of the way through the project, you know, is there, are there pieces of this you can work into your plan sort of midstream if you're already down the path? Um, in other words, is it better late than never to do some of this stuff? I guess, you know, uh, Teresa, why don't we start with you? Because I, I know you're the one we might lose first. In the, yeah, in the absolutely. Time yeah, absolutely. It's, it's you, it better late than never. Um, will it be more work? Yes. But will you uh, appreciate that when it's done the right way? Absolutely. Um, again, people contact us for change management. Let's just say even BPM, middle, almost all the way through. It is an uphill climb, however, it can be achieved. Um, one thing that I would say in terms of advice is to take a step back and breathe. I know that excitement is created. We want to do this. It's the right thing to do. But take the time and, and have that due diligence and, and really look at, okay, what is it that we're doing? Why are we doing it? Where do we want to go with it, right? And then who are the people we need to bring to really evaluate from not just that unbiased view, but that agnostic view? Like, are we doing the right things? A lot of people are going to tell us a lot of things. Yep. Bye, bye, bye. Take this, you know, purchase this, purchase this. But is it right for our business? That's a question you have to ask. And if it isn't, what do we need to do to fix it? Yeah, great point. Yeah, thanks for that. How about you, Nate? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it. I think it's real simple, and I think it's uh, create the vision, create the plan, and and so create the vision, plan the work, and work the plan. And I think that that's that uh, again very oversimplified. But as long as everyone's on the same page of where the vision is, as long as everyone agrees on the plan, and as long as you're working the plan, like Teresa said, it's never too late to start. But it's really important to know where you are and what's the plan to get you caught up and what's the plan to get you to ultimately where you want to be and be realistic about the challenges that are ahead and, and then work the plan. Yep. Great point. How about you, Michelle, any closing thoughts or recommendations to organizations that are considering or, or wanting to address some of these implementation readiness concepts? Sure. Yeah. I, Nate just covered kind of, if you're, in the middle of one so i want to give advice to people that are just getting started and like 
also Teresa said, it all starts the moment you decide you want to make the change. And some of, some of the implementation readiness steps can start happening while you're choosing your software, right? So that way you maybe don't feel so rushed to try to get into implementation. So thinking about who, who those important people in your company are that you might want to try to retain for the project, um, come, you know, starting to communicate about this, forming some excitement to get ready for that implementation. So, um, you know, some of the process stuff might not be able to happen until you've chosen the software, because now, you know, you have some idea about how they do things a little differently, but um, a lot of it can start sooner and, and it, it's never too soon, I think, to start thinking about what, how you're gonna communicate, um, you know, with the change management plans and things like that. So start yeah. early and it'll get you ready and faster. Yeah, great point. I don't think I've yet met a client that said, yeah, we started this whole implementation readiness thing too soon. We should have waited <laughs> or, or the change management stuff. We should have waited on the change management. We started right. way too early on that. I've never heard a client say that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate you joining this panel discussion and really helping us better understand what implementation readiness is, how it ties into a project and how it enables success. There's some great threads and topics for us to pull on and unpack a bit more. Kyler and I are going to do that in just a moment, but before we do, we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 79. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. And Kyler, we just had a panel discussion here to talk about implementation planning and implementation readiness, sort of that phase zero of digital transformations that so many organizations tend to overlook, but yet it's still critical to the mm -hmm. success of a transformation. What were some of your takeaways from that discussion? Yeah, absolutely. Great discussion um, and really great different perspectives. Uh, so Teresa, just so everyone knows, she's a director of uh, transformation and strategy. So she really oversees a lot of our projects. Nate's our practice lead, same um, type of of role there. He helps with some of our more specialized projects. Michelle is a senior manager. She's also um, bilingual. So a lot of our Latin American business um, she specializes in. So I think that that was a great kind of diverse panel discussion because they really play all kinds of different roles and have different specialties here at third stage. So I wondered for the implement implementation readiness framework that you looked at, when it comes to those different buckets and we look at strategic and executive alignment, operational readiness, people readiness, technical readiness, and project governance, is that in order of priority? 
No, it's a great question. It's not. Um, although, you know, we could sit here and debate all day, which sure. ones we think are most important. And, you know, some, some of us are going to have pretty strong opinions on some being more important than others, but generally it's, it's stuff that's happening in parallel. So it's, it's not a sequential, um, step-by-step. It's more of, these are the major work streams that kind of st- should start early on in a project in this planning and readiness phase zero, um, initiative, and then continue through the transformation beyond that. So if you are looking at this phase zero approach, who are the key stakeholders at the very beginning of the project that helps mobilize these different initiatives? Well, it, it certainly should be your executive steering committee and your executive sponsor. I mean, you, you really do want to make sure that your executive team is aware of the need for these work streams and for this general phase, because mm-hmm. oftentimes, you know, they're the ones because the executives are are oftentimes a bit removed from the tactical aspect of a transformation, which is understandable, especially for larger organizations. Um, along with that sort of few degrees of separation comes a lack of understanding of why it's so important. And it sounds particularly good to executives to say, let's just start deploying technology tomorrow rather than next week, because we'll save a week and we'll finish a week earlier. But it does, the math doesn't add up that way, because what happens is if you start tomorrow and you neglect that one week and and to be clear these implementation readiness phases typically take more than a week but i'm just Mm -hmm. using this as an example Uh, but if you if you have this perception that i don't want to delay the project a week so i'm going to start it now Mm -hmm. the reality is you're going to end up spending a lot more time and you're going to have so many delays through the project that whatever you think you're going to complete the project in whatever time frame you think was never realistic to begin with if you don't do the implementation readiness you have to plan for these hiccups and the organizational disruptions the operational disruptions the internal misalignments all the problems that so many transformations have mm-hmm. are mitigated by taking care of this stuff up front and sort of neutralizing risk before you ever start on the transformation that's really interesting and and what is the overlap because it seems like from my perspective there's some for software selection like it seems like a lot of some of these things you'd want to consider when selecting a software or are these just purely implementation no you're you're absolutely right it's actually a really good point we didn't get to that in the in the panel discussion into that important point that in in a perfect world which as consultants we like to operate in perfect worlds and the way we think things should be but then there's obviously reality of of what you know, um, what constraints every organization has, but in a perfect world, yes, you would start those activities actually ideally before you ever select the software. Mm -hmm. And you might run a lot of those in parallel with the actual evaluation and selection of technology. But the reality is a lot of organizations sort of start with a problem statement of we need to replace our technology or we've outgrown our technology or we're trying to scale the business. So let's go find some technology that's going to help us do that. And that's just the way organizations tend to think. And so the, mm-hmm. the key then is to assuming that they don't have the foresight and the proactive mindset to do all these activities before they ever select the technology, um, I think it's okay if you don't do it before the, the technology is selected. But where it becomes a real problem is if you don't do it and then you start the implementation, you just jump right in and start implementing. That's where companies get into trouble. So I think, you know, again, it's sort of that better late than never message or thread that we we started to talk about in the, the discussion, yeah. but the, the sooner the better, for sure. Absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and it's a great, um, a great message just for setting organizations up for success is really engage your third party agnostic independent team during software selection so that that yeah. way they can help identify any of these pitfalls or red flags 
that might derail your implementation. Because as Teresa mentioned, that's an incredibly expensive uh, triage project, not to mention for some small to mid-tier businesses, that can really put you out of business. So it's such a huge consideration. Something I'm hoping that we can expand a little bit more upon, because I know, you know, we have a ton to talk about in this panel, um, but project governance. To me, this has been something that has really been an emerging need. It's always been a need, but more of the fact that this is really kind of the main governance or the mantra or the manifesto, if you, if you will, of the project. And I think a lot of people don't understand the importance of project governance throughout the entire project. So can you kind of speak to the role of project governance and planning and maybe who should be involved in that? Yeah, it, again, it should be something that that starts at the top of the organization because ultimately the top of the organization needs to be comfortable with how decisions are made and who's responsible for making decisions. And they also need to have accountability and ownership of of governance and, and the project mm -hmm. in general. Um, too often executives want to pass off the project or delegate it to a team, which you do need to do to some degree. Obviously, executives aren't going to be involved in all the day-to-day -day stuff, but there are key decisions that they need to be involved in making. Um, you can certainly take recommendations from your project team, from your outside consultants, from your system integrators or software vendors, but ultimately the executive team should be the ones to decide that, yes, we are going to change our processes in these ways, or no, we're not going to do that. Um, here's sort of where we need to pivot in our in our strategy. So you, you need to have that governance set up or else what will happen is they'll look up one day and, you know, a year or two have gone by on the project and all the status reports were all green, showing a green, healthy status. And then all of a sudden everything's red. There's all these problems now. Um, or you end up waking up or looking up one day and, and you don't like the, you know, you don't like the way the transformation has been laid out or rolled out and it's not aligned with what you had in mind as a strategic or as an executive team. So that's the so that's why it really does need to start at the top. Although the governance needs to include, um, you know, multiple layers within the organization throughout the decision making and the the role and responsibilities as well. Absolutely. Well, this is such a great discussion, and I definitely think that for our content development, we'll pull a lot of these pieces um, and put them on our YouTube Shorts and our TikTok um, videos as well as as you do a lot, Eric. But I highly recommend, as I mentioned, um, following these stakeholders or connecting with them in some way. And if you do have questions about this, please feel free to reach out. Also, a link in the description. You can download our implementation readiness framework. We also have our quality assurance framework, which I think is also a really um, a good piece to look at. And then our digital transformation work streams. So all of those templates and packaging is available below. And I'd also like to reiterate, thank you for putting up with my daughter as we, we went through that conversation um, as it, it's early here in the United States. And um, my husband, who also works for Third Stage, is traveling. So, you know, we're doing the best we can in that situation. She just needed to be involved. So I, I felt like she had a lot to say, but she couldn't quite find the words about digital transformation strategy Absolutely. and planning. You know, I, I knew she, there's maybe next time we'll have her as a, as a spoken guest or a speaking guest on the show. Absolutely. Yeah, it was funny because Emma Romoff, who's also an influencer in the digital transformation space, uh, she's my age, um, younger mom, and we were actually doing a TikTok content collaboration about the, the um, similarities between parenting and digital transformation. So after that, I was filming in the car with them and the dogs, and they were like, what are we doing? Like, first we're on camera, 
for you know transformation ground control now we're on tiktok can we please just go get a cake pop so (laughs) why why does life have to be so complicated i know right why are we always you know doing content development but uh yeah if you do follow us on tiktok you'll kind of see um those fun sort of lifestyle pieces that we like to you know humanize ourselves at third stage because that's a huge part of our brand we are here to be your advocates um, and make sure that, that we understand your business and understand your culture. And we do that through really caring about our clients. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good. Well, good. Well, yeah, we're going to, we're going to shift gears and bring on our, our next guest um, without Meadow this time. It'll just yes. be our, our next guest. But Meadow, we'll, we'll save her for the for <laughs> next time. Um, but we're going to have uh, Dean Sam, who is a director third stage consulting in Asia Pacific. So he's based out of Hong Kong and our Asia Pacific office and team. And he recently gave a presentation at our digital strategy sphere online event, which by the way, you can go watch all the sessions that we did at that event at stratosphere2022.com. So just go to stratosphere2022.com. You can see this and all the other um, streams or, or presentations that were, were given in that event. But we're going to play you a clip from his presentation about creating a target operating model. And it ties in pretty nicely with the previous panel discussion because we dive into sort of that blueprint or that future state of what your organization is going to be, what you want to be when you grow up, and a lot of what we talked about within the readiness and planning phase of our project was was based on that. You, you've got to define your future state processes, your future state organization, um, what the workflows are going to look like, all that good stuff. And that's a really critical part of readiness as well. So we're gonna have Dean on the show. Uh, We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 79. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, and all the audio podcast platforms. And wanted to bring on or introduce our next guest, which is Dean Sam, a director of Third Stage Consulting in Asia Pacific, based out of Hong Kong. And he gave a recent presentation that we recorded uh, that was focused on building a target operating model as part of your digital transformation. So let's play the clip and then we'll unpack some of the concepts here uh, just a moment. Just want to share a quick story. Just it was four or five years ago when I was attending um, the digital stratosphere as a participant, and that's when I I got in touch with Eric. We stayed in touch over LinkedIn, and about a, a year ago, he contacted me for a project uh, based out of uh, Hong Kong, uh, and the project went well. And and then soon after, I became um, one of the members of Third Stage APAC. And Wayne and myself, we represent uh, the region. So it's uh, it's quite uh, it's quite the opportunity here to be able to 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 be a speaker this time uh, at the digital stratosphere. So 
I hope uh, I hope I'll be able to to show you a few things and and you'll be able to to use them in your uh, upcoming digital transformation. So today's um, session would be about uh, you know defining that future operating model and a part of that future operating model. Um, Eric has already uh, touched upon it uh, quite a bit in terms of that executive alignment. So there's going to be a bit of crossover in terms of what Eric uh, showed you and what I'll be uh, presenting. First off, I'd like to share with you our third stage end-to-end -end digital enablement methodology. And really, roughly, it's based out of four major steps. And Eric talked about that digital strategy piece and Kyler uh, reiterated how important it is to develop that, that beforehand because your digital strategy will be your driver in your next steps, whether it's a digital transformation, whether it's an ERP implementation. And that's going to allow you in, a, in the second step to properly choose which ERP uh, solution you require for your business that satisfies the business, uh, the business and process requirements of your business. Once that selection is done and you and you have negotiated uh, your contracts, then we also help our uh, our clients in that pre-implementation and readiness and change management piece. And uh, like uh, Eric shared, change management is pretty much the is is the number one reason why where digital transformation fail. And we we really take the time and put a lot of energy with our clients to set up their steering committee uh, members, to set up their, their project teams, to, def, uh, to develop their cha change management uh, strategies and to follow up on, on the change management initiatives. And lastly, this is where really the, the fun starts and it's during that implementation piece of, of, of the solution. We help our clients to make sure that what the system integrator or the vendor has promised that they're actually delivering on them. And at the end of the day, once the, uh, the system is implemented, you're getting the value out of that investment. So in terms of that digital strategy piece, and that's where the operating model sits under that digital uh, strategy piece is you have that strategic and executive alignment, which we're gonna to touch upon quickly. And then that's how you're going to start building that future operating model uh, for your organization. So those are the two um, uh, main work streams for this presentation on the digital strategy. As you've seen earlier in uh, Eric's uh, presentation, there were other work streams that fall that fell under that digital strategy uh, piece. So what are the outcomes from not having a digital strategy. I think that's important. Let's, if we remove, if we take away that digital strategy from that end-to-end -end digital enablement methodology, what do you get out of it? Well, firstly is your solution, there's a good chance that your solution doesn't capture that end-to-end -end or multifunctional processes in order to deliver business outcomes. Because a digital strategy looks at the organization as a whole and how they should be connected. But when you look at it only at a six, at a technology point of view or at an ERP point of view and looking at the modules, you're not going to get that interconnectivity that you require because you're going to be looking more at the modular uh, point of view of the solution. So therefore, instead of being an enabler to better operate, that solution that you have invested a lot of money will start dictating how you eventually have to operate. 
And I think we've, we've heard and we've seen that kind of uh, outcome uh, in, in, in per, maybe in your current organization or, or in past organizations where, oh my goodness, the solution can't do this. So I have to work around uh, the solution or if I wanted, or I have to highly customize the solution because that interconnection, that information interconnection isn't there between uh, the modules. So therefore the solution actually dictates on how you have to, to operate. And that's the reason of why having a digital strategy and an operating model is uh, so important. And in terms of selecting and uh, your, your ERP, you become reactive and bound to the offerings of the solution vendor or reseller. So instead of telling the solution vendor, well, this is my operating model. These are the modules that require to support my operating um, model and therefore show me what what you have in in your uh in your suite of, of modules that would that's the right way to go about instead of you know having having the reseller sharing with you everything that that they have and you'll and you'll get enticed easily enticed by what but what it offers but does it fit in to your digital strategy you know it's it could be a nice to have but is it worth that investment uh so far uh right away and ultimately, if you don't have a digital strategy and you rely on uh, system integrators to, to just implement a solution, often, often or not, you, you end up having a generic implementation that struggles to deliver the value that you need for, for your business. So we all talk about the best practices and ERP follows best practices and best practice offers certain value. But is that the right value for your business based on your your strategy? So those are certain outcomes that you can um, that we can find by not having a digital strategy. So how do we go about in building a digital strategy and, and, and building that operating model? Well, let's put away as let's put aside the, the technology piece. Let's put aside the, the solution and let's get back to business management basics. Let's look at what's changed in the business landscape of the organization, uh, of the market. Are there any disruptors in the market that we need to uh, uh, consider? Are there other um, areas or other opportunities that we need to be uh, looking at? We have to start, well, let's define the key value drivers and core competencies that we require to thrive in this uh, ever-changing market. And that's where you start to rethink how you want to operate, right? And, and what would be the, the, your future operating model, the right processes that you need to, uh, to have. So what do I need to, to, to operate in this new landscape? And then you start looking, do I actually need an ERP to operate? in that way. So that's so the first four points are the first questions that you should be asking. And only at the fifth point, then you're, you're questioning yourself, do I actually need an ERP and will that support uh, my, new uh, my, my new way of operating? And once uh, you have, you know, uh, your team has, has gotten, has made a decision that, you know, that an ERP would be beneficial and would be required to support that new operating model, then we start looking at what is the appropriate functional architecture for my ERP. So what do I really need to run my, my future operating model? And 
ensuring that I'm not buying too much or too little. If I buy too much, there'll be certain modules that I have that I'm investing subscription and licenses that do end up becoming uh, shelfware. So let's move on to, in terms of the mechanics of defining that operating mo uh, model. Uh, we first start by selecting the business uh, topics that we're going to go through with this, the different stakeholders, uh, uh, the executives uh, at the client end. And, and we, we could be going through a different number of, of topics. And usually there are two, uh, two different categories of topics that we can uh, run through them. One of them are policy-related topics in terms of governance. So how do they want to manage their approval processes? Uh, in terms of information management, in terms of if they're work, if they're going through a, a ever-changing market, how do they want to respond to that ever-changing market, and what is their growth and uh, and and plan for for the future? Another uh, type of uh, topics that we would also deliberate with the executive uh, group during these workshops to define their operating models. There could it could be topics more functionally related. So how do they look, how do they see in the future, how would they like to manage the procurement processes? Or how do they see their future supply chain and distribution networks coming along? How do they like to manage their sales and demand planning? And also a very important piece is that master data management piece, which uh, it's, a, it's a really key critical uh, success factor for any uh, implementation. And, and Eric talked about data migration and so forth, and that falls into that. Uh, into that space as well. So, so we we learn about the organization. Uh, we we you know we 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 understand their their predicaments, their situations, and we start and we identify what are those key topics that we should be raising during uh, during the early stage of the, the the workshops to build that operating model. Once those topics are defined, for example, governance is is one of the topics. We start building that spectrum, all right? And we're looking at, and we start defining at both ends of the spectrum, what does it represent? So on one end of, of, of governance on the left side is more of an outcome focused uh, governance and authority kind of uh, model. And on the right side is more hierarchical governance. So based on, on position and, um, and hierarchy and also what we provide to the uh, to the stakeholders is well some certain descriptions or model delivery observations on what what do these spectrums each end of the spectrums represent and in this case we're outlining what are the pros and cons another example more on the on the functional side for example on procurement management let's say if an organization has um, has has gone through certain mergers and acquisitions, and so they they want to combine certain entities, and they want to see what is the best way to manage uh, procurement at the group level between all these entities. So we'll look at different type of models that 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 could exist. Whether it's a centralized model that everything is done from uh, a centralized office, or a decentralized model where each entity or each site uh, manages their own procurement or you want something that's more hybrid where you have certain roles and responsibilities sitting at the group level and maybe more on, on, on the strategic side of procurement. 
and then you have the um, you have at the entity level at the site level that are managing more the operational day-to-day -day side of uh, purchasing so we will provide those model delivery observations observations just to to help uh, build clarity of what do these spectrums uh, represent and from there uh, we we ask the stakeholders to plot uh, their current state uh, points along the spectrum, as well as their future state uh, points. So the current state are the red dots, and the future state are the green dots. As you see in governance, one of the outcomes that we can find is you have certain uh, executives that are very much aligned in terms of where they are currently, in terms of their uh, governance model, and where they want to be. And they want to move more to an outcome-focused driven uh, model. So, so in so therefore, uh, you, you know, providing ownership to the to uh, and you uh, provide ownership to the to the different users, so they can make uh, the the decisions and not always having to go through different reporting uh, lines to get approval, which uh, which could stagnate uh, growth and which could stagnate uh, you know uh, stagnate the speed of of, uh, of business. Another example that we could find is well, there's quite a, there's quite a difference between the views of of different executives of where they currently stand and 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 where they want to go, and that's where we have to talk it out. and 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 it's better to have this kind of um, a visualization where you see different executives uh, being you know uh, not being aligned because this is where you know they need to talk it through. What does what, what are the pros and cons to go decentralized and centralized? And that's the real, the, that's the purpose of those workshops. And, and, and at least you get that done now before, you know, you, you, you implement, for example, that procurement um, module for your, for your ERP. We're here at Dean Sam talking about future state target operating models within digital transformation. We're going to continue the conversation when we return. We'll be right back with more transformation ground control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 79. My name is Eric Kimberling with Kyler Cheatham. And we are here with Dean Sam talking about target operating models within digital transformation. So once there's there's those discussions have have been uh, have been made during those workshops and what what's required to achieve the future state, we usually um, 
record all these 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 sessions because the a lot of there's a lot of information that comes out from all those those stakeholders and we we re-listen to these uh to to what they've you know what they've shared and what are their views and we help start articulating operating uh what are the operating principles and the operating principles is really what drives or what defines that future operating model so in a definition of what is an operating principle are they are executive statements to provide guidance and influence new ways of working to support transformation initiatives aim at delivering benefits and realizable outcomes so they're actually statements or guidelines by the executive on how we should be running the business how we should operate uh, the, the business and those are very very powerful because it's it gives them now a solid framework a, a solid basis to drive that the next steps of the digital strategy and here are certain examples of operating principles that came out of uh, the uh, the governance topic one of them is we have the appropriate risk-based controls for approvals and sign-offs considering the relevant governance framework of each business unit Another one is we have clear definition of roles accountable for approvals and sign-offs, thus limiting excessive multi-level approvals. So those are clear statements on what the executives are looking for in terms of managing their governance model. In terms of procurement management, one of the principles uh, are is we centrally manage our supplier relationships to leverage strategic partnerships and to evaluate our supplier base through a consolidated vendor performance reporting system. So this is where they really want to go into a consolidation mode, a centralized mode to, to manage their, their entire uh, pool of, of suppliers. And during this exercise, we usually get out of uh, two or three, or it could be four uh, different principles out of uh, each topic. So one thing I like to share is uh, what are the what are the some three key characteristics in order to uh, define or to identify or to draft your operating principles. First thing, your statement has to be in present tense. It's not we will do this. It's we have this, or we are currently uh, performing this. So it has to be in present tense. You already have to believe that it's already working with you in uh, is working in the organization and that helps to crystallize and and uh that that operating principles and and drive how to get that uh you know how to bring that to life in your organization the next piece is that operating principle serves for the executive team and steering committee serves as a clear indicator that the erp implementation project is on the right track to achieving its objective so those, like I said earlier, those are the basis and framework to drive your next steps in your digital strategy or your ERP and digital transformation journey. And along the way, one during, during the, the different uh, project gates that you have to go through, the different project meetings, the, steer, the steering codes, we're always going to rely, are these operating principles are they are are have they been designed into the processes? Have they been designed into the build? Have they been designed into the change management program? And that's all the steering committee and executive should uh, should be uh, should be looking at in terms of knowing that the ERP 
uh, investment is going into you know go, going towards the right uh, direction. So it's those operating principles is a very strategic way of 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 defining your 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 your, uh, your digital strategy. And at the end, once the the solution is delivered, the project is completed, the principles is basically is. It's, it's have you ticked off that principle? Is it recognized as being delivered? Yes or no? And it's very easy uh, to, to identify if it's in the ticked off or not at the end of the day. So those are those three characteristics that we feel are important uh, in terms of uh, defining or, or you know, writing up a well-written operating principle. And Dean, I wonder if we can jump in with a, just a few of these questions here um, in the questions and answers area. Um, I think this is a, a good time to address um, one of our top voted questions here, which is the digital, obviously digital transformation is a big journey, workshops, projects, sub projects, meetings, interviews, and so on. At what point or at what circumstance do you meet the most resistance or fatigue on the client side when you participate in a project? In a project, can you help us understand that? In terms of fatigue, I would say uh, change management is is a very it's, it's a very stressful uh, area for. For executives and for clients, because this is this is an area where roles and responses will have to change. Uh, whenever we we start looking at you know looking at uh, the org structure and and so forth, and uh, this could be a very taxing part, both from the executives who have to drive that change, but also uh, it could be also stressful for uh, for the functional people also because they know that maybe you know they're their their current um, roles and responses might change along the way. Absolutely, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, when it comes to this operating principle, can you give us an idea of, of when this should be defined within a digital transformation timeline? Oh, it should be. That's I would consider as uh, step zero, like like Eric was was mentioning. It should be done at the at the. Well, ideally, at at the very start, uh, when you're cons even before you're considering to 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 select a solution, having those operating principles, and I'll show show some examples later of even before selecting an, an, an ERP uh, solution, how having clear operating principles can help uh, in that selection process. Absolutely, and if you are an organization that is working to do kind of this this phase zero pre-work what are some um resources that you can look at when defining a future state operating model or a target operating model when that may not be your day-to-day -day roles and responsibilities are you talking about the the client side i'm, I'm assuming yeah, so basically, if you're starting out and you want to say, hey, I'm defining um, my operating model or my operating principles, uh, what are some things that they can start to do? Would it be to engage an expert or would it be to, um, you know, follow a certain framework? Uh, what are just some pre-work examples of what organizations can do today within their circle of influence? Well, I think it too, I think the first step uh, based on the mechanics is to to define which topics you like to you like to cover, you know, 
and, and that could start from 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 the C, uh, from the CEO which topics that needs to be discussed and then have his executive team start deliberating on what they think is is important uh, the, the the greatest thing about these operating principles is the discussion really and, the, right. and when you have discussions between let's say the CFO the CEO the op the head of operations uh, the head of HR working together in defining uh, common operating principles uh, is, uh, is is a great thing to see. As as a consultant, when 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 we take part in these in these discussions and these workshops, and when we have everyone around, all the all the key heads of the organization working together and building uh, multifunctional operating principles, that's um, that's 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 a great feeling because then. The chances of, of, of succeeding in, in your digital transformation and your ERP project to have that you know full coverage and full integration of the organization really sets you uh, on the right foot, puts you on the right foot. Absolutely. That's so well said. That dialogue and just that, that open um, feedback loop is certainly important. Um, so keep those questions coming, folks. You can put them in the chat or the questions and answers section. You can vote on your favorite and I'll let Dean get back to um, these characteristics of an operating principle. Yeah, uh, just, I mean, just the certain things I'm just thinking about uh, from these questions um, and about having materials ahead of time. You know, when we're, when we're going through these workshops and these discussions with the executives, they have a, a very clear idea of what they need, uh, maybe at, at their department level. But now when you start looking at it uh, interdepartmentally, uh, that's, uh, that's, when the, that's when the magic happens. And that's the beauty of these uh, operating principles. But at the end of the day, we believe that the executives know what they want. It's just about articulating them and collecting their information and then building those, the, those right articulating and building those right operating principles at the end. So uh, that, was, that was the mechanics. And, and here I'd like to share with you certain, uh, I guess, I know certain case studies. It's not really a case study where we're going in depth in, in, in a specific uh, client, but we'd like to share with you three, uh, three examples on where we've engaged this type of uh, work stream with three types of, of, of clients where we've helped them define their operating model and more importantly, define their operating principles. The so case one is with a vertically integrated utilities company. Case two, it has to do with a manufacturer that through mergers and acquisitions is looking to incorporate a new ent entity within their existing ERP. And the third case is a manufacturer that has outgrown its current ERP solution and is looking to replace uh, their, their ERP. So for this first case about uh, on this vertically integrated utilities company, this is a multinational organization and it's composed of numerous business units which are operating independently. Um, and they uh, spent quite a bit of time with other uh, consulting firms in in, to conduct the visioning exercises to develop their new business model for the future. And when we talk about visioning and new business model is by clearly identifying their, their mission, vision, and, and values. But while they're, they're building that new business model, they are also looking to implement a brand new ERP to replace their legacy ERP that's been running for over uh, 
25 years. So the challenge here is how do we translate those visioning exercises, those outputs into actual ERP uh, requirements? And that's where the, the operating principles provide that tangible outcome on how the organization is to operate with this new ERP. And here, I'm just going to share with you one operating principle that, uh, that came out of this exercise. With this client, we, um, I think we, we got about 25 different operating principles that came out of uh, this, this work stream. And let me just read it out here is we have process and information visibility of shared resources across business units. We can effectively coordinate and plan the delivery of new cross business initiatives and programs. So like I was mentioning, they have different, they, they, they operate uh, with, with numerous business units working uh, right now very much in silo and in their new ERP requirements, they need to be processing information visibility between these business units because in their, in their new way of working, they'll have more initiatives, more projects that cost, cut across those different business units. So their ERP needs to be able to, to do the same. So that, I think this is a one but very nice example in terms of, of the executive sharing what they require for their uh, for their ERP. So during the steer codes, during the 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 the, the QA, the delivery assurance meetings, executives can say how how do these business units connect while we're going through a cross business initiative? You know, those simple questions will make sure that we have the right answers and that the the, the system is being well designed uh, accordingly. We're here at Dean Sam talking about future state target operating models within digital transformation. We're going to continue the conversation when we return. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 79. My name is Eric Kimberling with Kyler Cheatham. And we are here with Dean Sam talking about target operating models within digital transformation. The second case is through mergers and acquisitions where a manufacturer is looking to incorporate their, uh, a new entity. So you have entity A, which is using ERPX, and entity B uh, with an ERPY. And the result is at the group level where you have both entities uh, consolidated, all of them would be using ERPX. 
And the sales vision is to consult both on an integrated planning platform. That was uh, the, the, the desire of the CEO. So the challenge is what does this integrated pla planning platform look like? How will you consolidate at the group level? How does it look like that consolidation piece at the group level? So the operating principles offer that opportunity to really crystallize how that consolidation would look like. Here are two examples of operating principles that came about uh, this exercise. First one has to do with their sales and customer service department, where it has to be integrated, consolidated at a singular point, so they can service all customers relating to activities cutting across all product families. So no two sales team, no two customer service teams based on entities, but just one uh, consolidated team. The next one is about master data uh, management. It's across all sites, we abide by the same master data structure and data definition requirements. So it's very, very clear and obvious what the executive is looking for through this consolidation of, uh, of this new entity in the ERP. They don't want this, although they'll be using the same ERP vendor or the same ERP brand, but they don't want two separate instances working uh, you know, uh, in tandem, they want one instance working together. So they have to share the same master data files and, and have the same uh, data definition. So it's very clear what they desire through their uh, digital strategy. The next case is a manufacturer who has outgrown its current ERP solution. And they have already done quite a bit of analysis internally in terms of their, their, their current processes, what are their, their, their current pain points, and so forth. But oftentimes, when you do these, um, you know, these process maps of your as-is and you identify pain points, pain points are often just a symptom, but not the actual root cause of uh, the problems of the system, system. So there's a lot of more work to be done in terms of identifying those, those root ca causes. And this client has engaged third stage to conduct a requirements-based evaluation scan of the appropriate ERP solutions. So they're looking for us to, to find the, you know, to, to, to evaluate the best solutions for them. And we've and we propose them to go through the through the operating model exercise because that will allow them to give them the best chance of success in terms of finding or identifying the right solutions, but Firstly, before finding the right or choosing the right solution is identifying what you really need. What are your business requirements for the ERP, uh, for your ERP, especially your cross-functional uh, requirements? So those operating principles that we have developed, uh, uh, we help them develop, will allow to derive that functional architecture and modules required for their future ERP. So again, making sure that they have the right modules and not buying too much or not enough. And this is one example of, um, of an operating principle that came out of uh, this exercise is we assess the trade value, uh, the value trade-off between the cost of carrying additional end products versus changeover and productivity costs to accurately optimize the scheduling of our mixed model production lines. So here, if we unpack this statement, 
is we're touching upon different modules that are required to deliver this actual operating principle. We're talking about inventory here in terms of uh, identifying your locations in order to identify what are the carrying costs incurred per inventory location. We're talking about changeover and productivity and scheduling. So you require that manufacturing management uh, module where your, you know, your bill of operations and your, and your routings have to be, have to be well-defined. And then financials where your cost allocations have to be well-connected with your manufacturing management and your inventory management piece. And also what's required and that sits below those three modules is a business intelligent uh, system in order to be able to calculate and develop those scenarios to, uh, to assess and to ascertain that value trade-off that's, that's required in order to develop the right scenario for, for, their, uh, for their scheduling. So just by developing operating principles, again, here it's, it's very multifunctional. And we also understand now what modules are required but also how they have to be linked together. And that's going, and that's where you really get the value out of your solutions by linking modules together and not having them working um, separately. So the key inputs of this of the operating principles are, are, are huge because they, they, they are their inputs to, to, the, to the other pieces or the other initiatives in, in our digital enablement. Uh, methodology. So, uh, it, well, we've we've shared about the ERP selection piece with the case three, where the the manufacturer has outgrown their solution. So that operating model defines what modules are required, what functional architecture is required, and then you can start evaluating the different options of solutions based on how each solution scores in terms of their robustness and functionalities of every module. So you have a clear framework or a clear uh, evaluation grid on how you go about your ERP evaluation uh, process. So it, 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 and, and you can quantify it. And that's, that's really important. Next is that pre-implementation readiness and change management. And actually with one of the, the clients that, we, that we've shared uh, in one of those three cases, uh, they were they were very very um, how can I say they, they they saw a lot of value out of those operating principles and they have continued to engage with us in order to drive to implement those operating principles in their change management um, initiatives and that's where we're uh, we're we're embarking with our change management consulting and working with their teams in order to realize those operating principles. And a last piece is that uh, implementation project and delivery assurance. And like I've mentioned, those operating principles become the basis of the executive team and the, and the board members of, of those organizations to see if really the, the project is, is it on the right track? Is it going to be, is it, is it going to deliver the right business outcomes that we're, that we're expecting at the end of the day? So they are they are, they they become really great guidelines to to the senior management. And finally, I'd like to finish off with this slide about the takeaways from having a digital strategy. And if uh, you recall earlier in my 
in my in, in the beginning of my presentation, I talked about the outcomes of not having a digital strategy. And one of the outcomes is not is not being able to capture end-to-end -end or multifunctional processes in order to deliver business outcomes. But when you have these principles, those principles are already designed specifically to deliver an outcome. And that's what's great about, about those principles. They've already written out. It's not a aspirational uh, kind of goal you're providing. Those principles are actual are actual statements that that they can and by that they can be uh, ticked off and said that they were actually delivered in the business. Also, those principles are naturally cross are are naturally based on cross functional discussions between the executive team. And we cannot build principles just by having one or two individuals around the table. You require a team that covers all aspects of the organization. One of, one of the uh, challenges or, or problems without a digital strategy is, well, this, the system is not enabling you to, to better operate. And at the end of the day, the solution dictates on how, you, on how you're operating. But by having those principles as the executive guidelines, they drive your future processes for to build the solution. And that's that's what's so so great about those principles is they will drive how you how the, your future processes should be uh, defined. And you eliminate those system workarounds and those um, and, and having a system that's very you know, that's highly customized because thanks to those principles, you have already taken consideration what are the different interconnectivity requirements that are required in your ERP platform. Just like the example earlier where we understood from one principle how the financial module should be connected to the inventory module and how it should be connected to the uh, manufacturing module to better uh, schedule uh, you know, production. Next is become what well, you, you're, you're no longer reactive and bound to the offerings of the solution vendor or reseller, because now you can tell them these are your, and you can tell them confidently, these are the modules that I require. So show me those modules and, and, and now you can start seeing the modules that you really uh, need to be delivered in your business. And ultimately, here, uh, the last challenge is you end up with a generic implementation that struggles to deliver value. And I think this is the most important uh, takeaway. Those principles are not just based on best practices or vanilla uh, processes that, uh, that, you know, that ERP offer, but those principles are developed by your organization and for your organization only. So they become your actual DNA on how you want to operate. So no one can take that away from you because they were developed by you, uh, by you only, and, and you own those, those, those principles. So really you're building the right processes and you're building the right solution design to meet your actual uh, business requirements, not the business requirements that are coming from, a, you know, simply from an out of the box uh, ERP, for example. I think that's a really interesting segue, Dean, into just kind of the dialogue that we're having here in the chat, which I always um, love kind of these opinions. 
Um, so I'm going to start with that and then I'll go back to a few other questions that people had. Um, but basically, you had just touched on what it means to buy kind of an off the shelf software and be, um, you know, kind of tied to that functionality. And similarly, we're having um, some conversation around kind of what is the who is the king of ERP in the APAC region? And we're talking about how perception often kind of seems to transcend the actual need of the business or the organization. Um, so I, I wondered if you might speak to that from a regional perspective of of how you might be able to kind of flip that perception and get the business to actually do what they need as opposed to maybe be enchanted with a bigger vendor that might not be perfect or a great fit for their business. Well, we, we you know, when we speak to potential clients, um, we, we also see the scenario where clients or potential clients don't choose third stage as um, as a partner in order to build that digital strategy and, and, and build those operating principles and go straight to the uh, to this to the system integrator because they believe the system integrator has everything that they have to um, offer. Um, but at the end of the day, a system integrator, what they're there, what they what they are there for you is basically selling a system and implementing it and moving on to uh to the next to the next job and unfortunately they don't have time uh um to to really take a, a really deep dive on your on your business requirements they do they do review your processes and what they require but do they do they take the time to really redefine you know your new your new data structure do they take the time to redefine what are all the interfunctional connectivities that that could help optimize uh, your, your business and functional outcomes and so forth. So this is where we come along and we help them through this this exercise of, 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 of you know, articulating the operating principles, clients see a lot of value in saying, oh, now I have, now I, I had a vision or I had a, I had a good sense of how the company should operate. But now through these principles, now they could start seeing it materialize it even more and see how information should flow between departments, but also within within uh, you know modular applications. Absolutely, um, I think from a functional perspective that that makes a, a lot of sense. Um, I'm wondering, so D three sixty five for all of you that are kind of talking about it in the comments again, great dialogue is on the top of our um, top 10 ERP systems. We make that list globally from a lot of industry research we do, obviously from our client case studies and just overall um, support within the marketplace. It seems from our feedback here with our APAC stakeholders is D365 is not um, a well-known or not sought after, it sounds like based on this product or based on this conversation, product in the APAC region. Is that something that you've experienced on the third stage side with some of your clients um, and in that space? Well, D365 is a, uh, it's a, it's a very popular product and we do have our clients or, or, you know, when we're, when we're pitching to clients, 
many of them do uh, do reference D365 as as certain as as a potential solution for them because you know a lot of them are are already using uh, you know Microsoft uh, Microsoft Suite uh, applications so they think it would be a, a seamless um, a seamless component with with a D365 uh, ERP. Uh, but and and it's 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 a big monster as well. D three sixty five. It can cover uh, quite, you know quite a lot of functionalities and 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 and, and, a, and a wide breadth of, uh, of of processes. But uh, now, depending on your size of the organization, is D three sixty five really what you uh, require? Because you might be ending up paying a lot but not be utilizing that full uh, suite of functionality. And that's why going through those operating principles, defining mm -hmm. what exactly what exactly the modules that you require and what kind of information connectivity that you require, then you can start also looking at possible other maybe less expensive solutions or less unknown solutions that can cover, uh, you know, that could cover uh, and satisfy your operating principles. Absolutely. And, and everyone here, please stay tuned um, for Wayne's keynote after this. Is he, at, he is actually talking about software selection and vendors in greater detail. So um, definitely stay tuned for that. The, the question I want to end with here before we take a quick break and come back um, is Roberto um, asked you specifically if you could explain more um, in uh, the BI in your process, so the business intelligence, rather than just a part of the system. Um, so I think we're, he's asking you to just uh, elaborate on business intelligence in general, um, maybe not just in the granular system um, activation. Does that make sense? Well, it, it all depends on the, uh, again, the operating principles that came out, that come out of this exercise. Um, the example that I provided with case uh, number three where the manufacturer has outgrown uh, their current ERP, and uh, part of the functional architecture is having a, a business intelligence. Because in their operating principles, out of I think we've developed over almost fifty operating principles with this client, and out of the fifty, uh, ten operating principles were focused on scenario modeling, or uh, you know, uh, scenario modeling. Uh, and, and building algorithms to uh, to find the right uh, scenarios or, or find the best the most optimal options uh, and therefore so in in their respect they had a big need they ha they had a clear requirement for business in in, in uh, a robust business intelligent uh, intelligence uh, module in order to cover the entire uh, breadth of, of of functional modules that are required in the ERP. If in other in other circumstances where during the the operating model exercises where there there wasn't much of a need to 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 develop you know scenario modeling uh, and then build analytics in in their in their operating model, then we would refer back to just having maybe using the reporting system and and the BI functionalities that are already embedded in that uh in that erp solution thank you dean that was a great presentation very helpful and very relevant to any sort of digital transformation and hopefully the audience found some value in that discussion as well there's a couple of threads we want to pull on and and follow up on uh related to that conversation but first we'll take a quick break we'll be right back with more transformation ground control
Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 79. And we just had Dean Sam on the show talking about the future state target operating models and how that all ties into digital transformation. What were some of your thoughts in that presentation, Kyler? Yeah, well, I always love Dean's presentation. And if you do want to follow along um, from his PowerPoint, we'll go ahead and link that below. Again, you can download that from our website uh, because he does have some very cool animations in there and kind of showcases uh, how the... Uh, the target operating model structure works in a very visual format. So for our audio listeners, we will link that below. But something I wanted to ask you, Eric, when we talk about our, you know, will be as is um, type of, of different uh, comparison there, how do you know if you do need a new target operating model? Like, how do you tell if yours is very stressed or there is time, it's time to kind of go through the exercise that Dean laid out? Well, it, I don't want to say that you you always need it, you know, if you're going through a transformation, but I would say most of the time, an overwhelming majority of the time, when we're working with a client, on the surface, the problem is that they outgrew, they've outgrown their technology. It's outdated. Um, they can't keep up or the technology can't keep up with the business needs, or in some cases, the software vendor is forcing the client onto a new technology uh, in, the, in the cloud or whatever the case may be. Um, but when then we peel back the onion and you really look under the hood of what's actually happening, usually it's not the technology necessarily that's the problem. It's that you've got broken processes. You're not organized well. Yep, you could benefit from new technologies and better tools, of course. But there's usually a lot more to it than, than the technology. And so the operating model in many cases becomes really the foundation for all the other stuff that happens in a transformation, including the technology work stream, the the organizational change and the people work stream because now you've defined what we're going to be when we grow up operationally which then influences and feeds into what we're going to be when we grow up organizationally in terms of roles and responsibilities and um reporting relationships and process you know day-to-day -day processes and all that stuff so it really is a foundation for everything you do in a project and if you just focus on the technology and you, you sort of skimp over the the operating model piece of it, you're, you're really operating with a real shaky foundation. You don't, in many cases, you just don't have a foundation. So you end up flying blind and trying to deploy technology just in the way that your software vendor thinks might be best for your business versus what 
you know, you know, to be best for your business. And that leads me to my next question. We kind of talked about the prioritization structure. So targeting operating model, obviously the overall, you know, at least loose structure needs to be defined when having that, that software conversation. What's the balance between having a software solution, specifically an ERP that, you know, isn't going to do everything that you want it to do? Maybe it will 1% of the time, but likely there's going to be um, shifting that you need to kind of meet the software in the middle. What's the balance that that should look like? And how does an organization know if they're losing too much of their identity in that target operating model because of a wrong fit software? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I, I, that's, you just sort of laid out a case for why you should do some of that, at least some of that target operating model work before you select technology, because then you know, you're going to select the technology that best fits the future state, not, not where you are today necessarily. Um, I was just talking to a, a client of ours earlier today um, that we did work with last year in 2021. And we had come in and they had asked us to do a very tactical sort of a project where we, we just assessed the current processes and systems against their current state um, needs and did a, did a great job. We, you know, we like the client, the client likes us, but the, but the project never went anywhere. The client just said, Oh, okay, well, we're just going to kind of keep things the way they are. But then today the CEO and I had a call and they sort of changed direction. Now they're getting more aggressive in their growth plans and they've got more of a strategic vision of what they want to mm -hmm. be, which is very different than the way we are today. So now they've asked us to re-engage to now kind of bring it up to another level of strategic focus and I think you see that a lot with organizations. They, they think tactically, they're kind of stuck in the way things have been over time. And it takes someone like that, someone or a group of people within the organization really rocket off center to kind of get back up to the strategic level, um, which would, which would you know, focus on the, on the target operating model, among other things. Absolutely. So we have a target operating framework that you and team have put together that feature kind of a roadmap, business processes, competencies, skills and tools, people, customer experience or the voice of the customer, training, organizational design, research and development, and the center of excellence being kind of the end of it. Can you kind of talk us through why that overall flow is what you recommend when looking at defining a target operating model? Yeah, it's a way to really keep things grounded. So, you, you know, you're, you're not getting too philosophical, you know, because the philosophical debates for organizations are very challenging because mm -hmm. then, it, then no one can ever agree on, on just general like philosophies of how a process should be if, if we're sort of flying blind or just debating in generalities, but if we tie it to our, to our company strategy, our organizational strategy and what it is we're trying to accomplish as a team and as a company, then it sort of becomes more tangible and is more grounded in that. So that, that whole framework is meant to unpack all these different dimensions of a company strategy, knowing that the target operating model for company A is probably, or should look a lot different than the target operating model for company B, even if you're in the same industry, even if you're very similar companies, you should, and most companies will have different target operating models based on what they're trying to accomplish. So that that framework, that organized methodology and framework is meant to really unpack it in that way. Absolutely. And if you want to know more about this framework that I'm referencing, um, Eric does have a variety of blogs on functional architecture that features that information. If you go to our website, we have a whole thought leadership section where you can read our blogs, guides and reports, see this podcast, our videos, and then look at our upcoming events. Um, and speaking of upcoming events, this clip was from 
our APAC regional digital stratosphere that we did back in June of 2022. As Eric mentioned, it is still available on our website and at stratosphere2022.com. Uh, you can see the recordings for all of that. They're also available cut up on our YouTube page as well. And then we do have our EMEA stratosphere coming up on September 16th of 2022, which will feature our Europe, Africa, and Middle East stakeholders. Um, so definitely head over to our website. You can register for that there. It is a free event. Um, and then be sure to join live so you can uh, kind of engage in some of these comments that you heard Dean kind of answering a lot of those different questions from the audience in our APAC region during his keynote there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good. Well, good. Well, thanks for uh, the, the heads up on that upcoming event and, and being able to access the past events as well. I think that's uh, hopefully a good resource for a lot of people listening here today. Um, and thank you for listening to today's podcast. We really appreciate everyone joining here today. Thank you for being here as always, Kyler. We look forward to seeing you next Wednesday, uh, every Wednesday, new episodes on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and all the audio podcast platforms. Too. So be sure to check us out uh, wherever you prefer to watch or listen to podcasts. You can find us there. Uh, and I appreciate any, any help you can offer in getting the word out to more people about this podcast as well. So I want to thank everyone for being here. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control.